Hi, everybody. Before we begin the show, we wanted to address the recent tragedy that happened with Kyoto Animation. On July 18th, around 10.30 a.m., a devastating fire broke out at Kyoto Animation's first studio building. It ended up killing 34 people. With a 35th victim passing away from injuries on Saturday, July 27th. And injuring 34 others. Firefighters responded to the scene, uh, and they were able to extinguish the fire within five hours after it started. But the fire was not fully put out until the following Friday morning at 6.20 a.m. Of those confirmed dead in the studio, firefighters found two on the first floor, 11 people on the second floor, one person in the stairwell between the second and third floors, 19 people on the stairwell between the third floor and the rooftop. Of those killed, people uh, reported that 20 were women and 14 were men, and the gender of one victim is unknown. They have uh, apprehended the suspect, who is a 41-year-old man. Uh, Allegedly, they used gasoline to start the fire. It is uh, being investigated as a case of arson, and the suspect themselves is injured and being treated for those injuries and as of the time of this recording has not been interrogated yet so we don't know the full reasoning behind his motive however according to witnesses on the scene and according to other sources the suspect said that it is because he had a grudge against them for whatever reason uh he was seen saying die as he was pouring the gasoline on the building and even allegedly pouring it on people. And there are tons of horrific accounts of what happened, things that people witnessed and seen up like their bodies burned to black because you know they were on fire and burned just horribly. And this is one of the biggest tragedies in recent Japanese history. Uh, aside from a fire in a commercial building that killed 44 people back in 2001, where arson was suspected but not conformed, uh, this is the worst mass murder in Japan's post-World War II history. Since the mid-40s, this is the worst mass murder in Japanese history. And it, very cruelly, it has cost the lives of so many talented artists, young artists, disproportionately women in an industry where women are underrepresented. Kyoto Animation is known for having the majority of female staff, in general being incredibly good employer and how they treat their employees. And it's such a tragedy. It's such a horrible thing that this happened to them. be horrible who would happen but it just adds fuel on the fire to use a expression that is like in terms of making this just so depressing and disheartening but in spite of the excruciating human cost the projects that kyoto animation had been working on are salvageable on sunday july 29th a statement made by a lawyer for Kyoto Animation, Daisuke Okada, 
claimed that the server that contained all the data for Studio One had been fully recovered. The server had digital versions of the production materials from past and ongoing works. The server was reportedly on the first floor of the building and had thick concrete surrounding it, so it was unaffected by the fire and the water used to contain said fire. However, in spite of recoverable data, there is still an incredible material cost to this tragedy. Computers, other production materials, and the building itself are all gone. According to Hideaki Hata, President of Animation, uh, the monetary amount of the damage, extreme. Uh, I don't know the full details. So, it has deeply uh, affected, like, uh, the entire facility and the work that Kyoto Animation does. And currently it's being considered that the first animation building won't even be uh, restored and modeled after this fire. Hata has uh, stated uh, on July 20th that they are considering demolishing the building and creating a public park at the spot of the fire that will include a monument for the victims. He's quoted saying, When I consider the staff and the people in this neighborhood, there are people who don't want to watch such a gruesome sight. And Hata is also considering a memorial ceremony for the victims. In the aftermath of the tragedy, there's been a lot of reporting done on the incident. There's been a lot of fan support, a lot of grief, and in now people doing a lot of things to want to help and to want to share their memories and their feelings on KyoAni and show support to them. And that's going to be basically the community shoutouts for this episode, is that I'm going to recommend a bunch of resources to help KyoAni and retrospectives, articles written by people about the incident and about KyoAni themselves going over their history. So, starting off with Sentai, on the day of the arson, they set up a GoFundMe with a $750,000 goal, and they have raised over three times that amount. At the time of this recording, they have raised over $2,343,510. There's been a lot of fan love and outcry that has, you know, been channeled through this GoFundMe. And these fees, or everything that uh, is going through this GoFundMe is going to directly go to kill any staff and their families to help them heal, pay for medical costs, like whatever they need after this tragedy is so deeply cost so much. So the amount of fan support and the amount of funds raised by this campaign it is a heartening thing in the wake of this tragedy. But if you would prefer to have another, perhaps more direct way to support KyoAni, KyoAni has also set up their own direct donation option where we'll link the page 
but essentially you can wire money directly to a bank account set up by KyoAni themselves. And additionally, Right Stuff will also allow you to donate through their donation option. And we will be leaving a Twitter thread with information about their procedures in terms of how to donate through them in the links below and a link to their donation page as well. You can also buy merch off of their online store, which we will link in the description of this episode. And we'll also link a Twitter thread by Twitter user Mimiko, where they put up a guide of how to purchase things from the KyoAni store. And so they have like a four step-by-step kind of walkthrough of like, how to navigate the website and purchase products from them, which is very helpful and so appreciated. But I also want to share pieces on KyoAni, uh, celebrations of its history and what made it special, including, of course, Sakuru Gaboru's thorough retrospective on the studio, covering its roots from the beginning as a studio founded by a painter who used to work with Mushi Production uh, and her husband. They founded a studio alongside housewives from her neighborhood, and that grew over the years into one of the most prestigious and uh, lauded animation studios in the industry. And it's a thorough retrospective on, like, Everything that made KyoAni special in terms of it as a production studio and it's a navigating like their evolution from their early commercial work days to their entry into television animation, the introduction of and fostering of new talent like Naoko Yamada. It's a thorough retrospective that is well worth to read in order to like truly get a grasp of what makes you only special and the extent of why this is such a tragedy. But there are also just personal stories I like to share. Like I saw a story by Twitter user Johnny Land who wrote about how he noticed the effect of Kyoto animation, particularly Kaon, uh, on the town of Toyosato, which is a small town in the Shiga prefecture. And the elementary school in that series was used as a reference for the school in Kaon. And that had a deep effect on the town in terms of promoting tourism, but also the town embraced it with pride, uh, remodeling signs for drivers to, you know, look out for children to resemble Yui from Kaon. And it's just one small, but really heartening story of like the effect the studio's output and their work had, you know, culturally. But there are tons of write-ups on uh, Kyoto animation, both the incident and, you know, their history that I want to share. There are two New York Times retrospectives that go into Kyoto animation, the, both the incident and what makes the studio special, why it's such a big loss. I do warn you that these articles are graphic. They do describe some very horrific imagery 
And it is something to be warned about. That is just too much to really process because it it may it may tear up just reading some of the things described as well in terms of like what witnesses saw at the scene in terms of all the tragedy and just the horror of it. But it, it's definitely worth reading, you know, because it's so powerfully written and thorough. But also, Laura Nassini wrote a retrospective for Forbes about the impact of Kyoto Animation, kind of narrowing it down to like just five things the studio was known for that is worth remembering and celebrating Kyoani. The progressive work environment, high-quality production, unique style and voice, internationally successful feature film, and enduring body of work. And I just recommend you read Lauren's piece. I just gave you just the summary of like what her five points were. But like, you know, it's a great piece that gets to the heart very, you know, succinctly but thoroughly about what made Kyoto special. But there are other great pieces about that as well, like a Japan Times article that was written by Matt Shirley also puts a lot of KyoAni's role in the industry in perspective. CNN article about this also does a similarly good job. Konami Faithful also wrote a tribute to KyoAni, celebrating five works, five different writers really appreciated from the studio. We Lord also wrote a piece for this article on a silent voice, which was very well written. And again, this is another piece that celebrates the work that Kiyoani has done and the shows that have left a meaningful impact on the people writing about them. Additionally, Eleven Arts has issued a call to action for fans to fold paper cranes that they will send to Kiyoani using a sunflower template. Sunflowers represent longevity, friendship, strength, happiness, and positivity. So just as these flowers have bloomed repeatedly throughout Kyoto animation titles, so too has the studio embodied these traits and shared them with us. So using these sunflower template is kind of a meaningful gesture to show solidarity with the studio. But Eleven Arts has said that, you know, you can use any materials or origami paper that you'd like and write any messages you see fit, and they will deliver all folded paper cranes to Kyoto Animation. And so you can mail your folded paper cranes to Eleven Arts, which is, their address is 2127 Sawtail Boulevard, Los Angeles, California, 90025. And, you know, we'll leave a link to the page where they have set out this call to action to mail paper cranes and the links below but again this is just a really meaningful gesture to show solidarity with the studio their statement is kyoto animation is a studio that reveres and upholds tradition we want to echo this sentiment by collecting paper grains to gift the beloved studio during their time of healing it is our hope that this gift allows them to know we're all thinking of them we hope Many of you will join us in folding paper cranes as physical tokens of our support. And I want to uh, share some more Crunchyroll uh, things. Like Crunchyroll set up like a way for people to directly share a message of support with KyoAni that I'll link. Like you can go to a page on their 
website and then they have this like form where you can just write a message to Kyoto Animation. Uh, you can upload like any fan art or photos that you'd like to send to them as well. And that's basically it. It's like a, just this quick little survey monkey and bag, but it will go to Kyoto Animation. If you wanted to send a message of support, that'd be a great way to do it. But Crunchyroll has also done a roundup of all the ways you can help Kyoto Animation at this time, you know, including sharing the messages of support, but also they have their own, like, guide that they link for buying digital goods off Kyoto's website. They also link this and they go funding. They also note that if you are in Japan and you can visit the store chain Animate and make donations there. And then in general, they end off this piece and they also, I think that it's a great piece of advice. Uh, it's a simple thing to do is just to share memories you have about Kyoto Animation's work and share love for the studio's work and the people behind them and show that, you know, the solidarity that, you know, we stand with Kyoto in their desperate time and we just celebrate the studio's legacy and just find ways to share love amid this tragedy. And the human cost of this tragedy, you know, is, is severe. Again, so many young, talented animators, artists who have made work that people have loved worldwide are, have been lost and it's a huge chunk of KyoAni's staff makeup has been lost. They are a small studio, relatively. They only employ between 150 to 200 people. And through this incident, a fifth of their staff has been lost. And then another fifth have been critically injured. And so the studio is not going to be the same again. And I think the industry is not going to be the same again after this incident. This is going to be a shared kind of cultural moment of trauma that I think that we'll see the after effects of for a long time to come. But I think slowly we will find ways to heal. And I think ways to help that are through the links that we are sharing, the community shoutouts we are sharing uh, with this podcast. Resources to help Kiwani and pieces that have celebrated Kiwani and then in general just encouraging sharing love and support for the studio and support for the people who have made art that have touched the hearts of so many people worldwide and this is a very deeply affecting thing for anyone really uh, who is not just a fan of their work but like in the this community and people who just love great art and love seeing artists express themselves with such a unique voice and vision. So, again, it can't be stated just how much of a horrifying tragedy this is, but, you know, in the wake of this tragedy, I do think it's important not to wallow in sadness. It is important to grieve, but it is also important to persevere and find ways to support and help rebuild. And I do really like the sentiment that Hideki Hata has that they won't rebuild the the first building in the same place, but they'll build a monument, a park, and a monument to honor the memory 
of the victims. And additionally, Hideaki Hata posted a message on Sunday, July 27th on Kyoto Animation's website in Japanese, English, Chinese, Korean, and German. The message reads, An unprecedented atrocity has robbed many of our friends and colleagues of their bright futures and has left many deeply injured. News from all over the world tells us that amazingly, many number of people have sent their hearts and prayers, which are like candles in the darkness, for those of us trapped in the darkness of deepest grief. There are many friends and colleagues who are hospitalized and suffering, fighting for their lives. Please give us some time. We promise that Kyoto Animation will continue to create animation that help people have dreams, hope, and impress them. Kyoto Animation will continue to make its employees and staff lead happy lives and contribute to society and local community. I assure you that Kyoto Animation will not give up. We will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. Kyoto Animation, CEO Hideaki Ata. There's really no way for me to cleanly dovetail off this. Uh, you know, just talking about it, I found myself tearing up. But it is worth talking about. It was important to address at the top of the show before we got into anything else. And if you want to support QAnnie, not just financially, but, you know, it's just share your memories, your love of their work, and show support, solidarity for the people who have been affected, and tell them how much their work has meant to you, and that your thoughts and prayers are with them. Mine aren't, for sure, as well. But with that said, I think we will go on and discuss you know, our main topic for this episode now. And we'll try to, in the wake of this tragedy, continue living and continue seeking hope and joy in life. And we will continue to, to move forward and rebuild and uh, celebrate what we love about this industry and this medium and the people who work in it. And I think that's what we're going to do here today in just a moment. And so now, thank you for your time. We will begin the episode proper. On today's episode, we will be discussing the news that came out at Anime Expo, as well as our coverage of the events on the pre-show night of Anime Expo, namely the Detective Conan Zero D Enforcer screening and V-Lord's thoughts on it, as well as a few extraneous panels like the Dark Horse panel and the... Indie Creates panel, among a couple others. 
and just their general experiences before Anime Expo began properly. Then in next week's podcast, we will share with you a at least four plus hour long podcast on the entirety of Anime Expo, where we will be joined by Sakaki, who was also there at AX with us for that episode. But for today's episode, we hope you enjoy our coverage of all the news out of Anime Expo and the pre-show night of Anime Expo, especially Detective Conan's here, The Enforcer. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Manga Mavericks. We are a podcast that discusses manga as a medium and as an industry. I'm Lam Ramiyasha, and there is no Colton on this segment because we're going to give you a rundown of the massive mega news roundup that came out of AX. We've got tons of new license announcements, tons of surprising, awesome announcements for new projects that are coming up. There is just so much to cover, and there's no better person to cover it with me than the other person who was there with me at AX, V-Lord GTZ. Hey, you folks. Yeah, V-Lord, AX feels like a lifetime ago, but there it felt like an eternity of incredible experiences. It was insane. But for all we did at AX, it's insane. <laughs> Again, how much we did not get to experience because AX is just full of so much to do and so many panels and reports and all that stuff that we could not possibly get around to them all in person. But we were actually able to attend several manga industry panels firsthand and experience some license announcements in the room. But not nearly all of them. But that's okay, because we still got all the announcements to talk about on this show, and we'll have a good time discussing them, I think. Though, who knows how long it'll turn out. Yeah, there was a lot that came out of Anime Expo. And so many of these industry panels were put up against such big events that a lot of them could really go unnoticed at times because like there's so much going on at anime expo but we're here to cover it all and first off let's talk about some licenses from cross infinite world now cross infinite world made most of these announcements before ax actually and actually they also made some announcements after ax that i also thought we might as well talk about considering you know they made some more announcements since ax uh, we haven't recorded the news yet? Why not? Why not lump them all in together? 
But let's start off with their first big batch of news, which is that they've announced print releases for eight of their light novel series that they've been distributing digitally, which include Emmett, Island of Golems, Mia, and the Forbidden Medicine Report, The Eccentric Master and the Fake Lover, The Champions of Justice and the Supreme Ruler of Evil, The Cursed Princess and the Lucky Knight, Little Princess in Fairy Forest, Beast, Cross, Blood, Volume 1, and Another's World's Zombie Apocalypse is My Problem. Now, Emmett, Island of Golems, Mia and the Forbidden Medicine Report, and the Eccentric Master have already shipped out in print as of June 15th, and the remaining titles should come out over the course of the summer, which means in the next six weeks or so since the summer is dwindling to a close. It's incredible how fast it's been going. But all these series are series, once again, that Cross Infinite World has released before digitally, and we've discussed them on the show before. But I'm glad to see some of these get a print release. I'm still quite interested in Another World Zombie Apocalypse. That always sounded like a fun premise to me. Being in this post-apocalyptic world, with the power to purify zombies and turn them back to human. Quite fun stuff, but we will see uh, how these fare in print form. Uh, hopefully they find an audience. I mean, I'm sure that Cross Infinite World is releasing this in print because all these series have done very well digitally, and surely they should uh, fly off the shelves as well in stores. But Cross Infinite World has licensed some new stuff as well, including The Werewolf Count and The Trickster Tailor. The first volume of the series is coming out on August 5th, and the story is by Yuruka Morisaki, and it's about a girl whose whole life is shaken up when a werewolf shows up at her shop in the middle of the night and asks for more than just clothes. It's a paranormal romantic comedy about a young count, who is actually a werewolf, passionately wooing a tailor living in the slums, who is actually a woman disguising herself as a man to survive. And so, can these two people who live double lives find love and acceptance with each other? So, there's a lot there in terms of hiding your identity from the world, and then being able to share that intimately with another person who also is undergoing that same uh, transformation, that same hiding of identity from the public, society at large. So, quite interesting premise, and certainly supernatural romances are in vogue, so I am curious to see what the buzz will be on this one when it comes out. But... There is another license to talk about, and that's Root Double Before Climb After Days, which is done by Soki Tsukishima and Tori Tsukishima, and is based on Yeti and Rekista's game of the same name. This is going to be released worldwide digitally on September 30th, and then Root Double Before Climb After Days Square Root After is going to be released digitally on September 30th, and then Root Double Before Climb After Days Square Root Before is going to come out in early 2020. 
These sound like very, very complicated names. These are very complicated names, and they're similar enough that it confused me for a second there. But these novels were originally published by Kenansha in 2012, so not too long after the original games came out in the summer of 2012. And the synopsis of these novels are, when a disaster strikes an isolated city, a captain is deployed with his elite rescue squad to handle an underground nuclear reactor meltdown, but the radioactive contamination and explosions become the least of the squad's concerns when the facility goes into complete lockdown and it turns out they aren't the only ones inside because there are voices they're hearing. There are schoolgirls who shouldn't be there. And there are corpses there that have nothing to do with the meltdown. So, will the captain and his team be able to find the other survivors before it's too late? Or will these mysterious voices make them turn on each other? It's a fast-paced survival thriller. I've never heard of this game series. Have you, B-Lord? I have not, as far as I know. So, very interesting. I'll be curious to see how this novel adaptation fares, what the buzz will be on this. I also have not heard anything about the game, so we will see how this does. But that about does it for Cross Infinite World. But Dark Horse also got the jump on AX with a very fun announcement in that they are going to be releasing... Makoto Kobayashi's classic What's Michael manga. After over 20 years since their debut of their first English translation of the series is returning in a overloaded style. A English collection called What's Michael Fat Cat Collection Volume 1. It's 520 pages. It has out of print original first six volumes of the series including Michael's album, Living Together, Off the Deep In, A Hard Day's Life, Michael's Favorite Spot, and Michael's Mambo. And so this book is going to come out January 29, 2020 in comic shops, and then it'll appear in bookstores on February 11, 2020. But you can already pre-order it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and your local comic shop. And the only synopsis I think we have for the series is that it's Japan's version of Garfield Heat Clip and Crazy Clat all rolled into one. It certainly looks quite charming with these cats all doing this strange pose on the rooftops and the cover, so I think it seems quite cute. Nice to see this classic get a re-release. And I think that animal lovers, and especially cat lovers, will find a lot to love in this series, especially if they like other great cat manga like The Sweet Home. But that does it for all the publishers that made announcements pre-AX to get a jump on AX, and then basically restated all their recent announcements at their industry panels, but a lot of industry folk, they made announcements at their panels, including Viz Media, if you'd like to take that away, Vlord. Yes, so Viz Media announced uh, quite a few titles at uh, Anime Expo at their panel. The first of these is uh, Downfall, called uh, Reraku in Japan by uh, Inoue or Inio Asano. <laughs> Inio Asano. 
<laughs> yeah, Ilyosano. I don't oh. know. I haven't heard of this author. Good night, Poon Poon. What is Whoa, this obscure series? What is this obscure manga, Poon Poon? I've dead, never dead, heard of demons, that. Dead, dead demons, dead destruction. Solanine? I've never heard of these. He can't be one of the most popular manga authors. In all seriousness, uh, Inio Asano, fantastic mangaka, has done some great work, and, uh, if I recall, Downfall is one of his definitely really short series. I think it's only a few volumes, or maybe, like, a volume long, but, mm -hmm. uh, it's a, a realistic view into the manga industry. And uh, the summary here is like, so what if your first series just ended and you have no idea how to start the next one? Your marriage is breaking up. Your pure love of manga has been destroyed by the cruel reality of the industry. And nothing seems to fill the sucking void inside you. Find the secret combo for our new hit manga series and everything will be okay. Right? This just sounds Whoa. like a great premise. Um, I definitely want to read this. I love manga about making manga. This single volume work from Asano sounds really fascinating. I'm sure he's going to channel his own frustrations and experience into the work. So very, very curious about this. Yeah, for sure. But the next series is uh, Prince Freya by uh, Shoujo Bead Represent. Yeah, uh, by, uh, Keiko Ishihara. So, uh, Keiko Ishihara's previous works, um, I believe have both been licensed by Viz Media. The Bride and the Exorcist Knight and the Heiress and the Chauffeur. Mm -hmm. So, uh, this is, uh, their third title that's been brought over. Um, the summary for this is, like, the powerful kingdom of Sigurd has slowly been conquered. Uh, conquering all the lands that share its borders, and now it has turned its voracious attention to the small, resource-rich kingdom of Tyr. Tyr cannot hope to match Sigurd in strength, so in order to survive it must rely on the intelligence, skill, and cunning of its prince and his loyal knights. But when the prince is poisoned, a young village maiden named Freya who bears a shocking resemblance to the fallen prince, must step into his place to save them all. This sounds a lot like Basara. Yeah, Basara was definitely a series that like came instantly to mind for me, too. But yeah, this mm -hmm. definitely seems like something I'd be interested in uh, checking out. It comes out in winter of 2020, uh, same as Downfall. So definitely uh, keep it on your radar. Oh, I love... Me stories about women taking charge. So I'm definitely down to read Prince Freya for sure. But I also am always down for Pokemon. Yes, um, this next title is something that I know you're very excited for, Lum. Mm -hmm. This announced uh, a Pokemon Adventures Collector's Edition. Uh, interesting to note about this announcement is that I don't think they actually announced it at the AX panel itself. It was announced later in the press release, which was a bit strange, and maybe they just kind of, like, forgot about it, or, like, the they weren't greenlit to announce it at the panel like they had hoped. But uh, in any case, it's coming, and I know a lot of people who are excited for this. Uh, 
For those who don't know, Pokemon Adventures is by Hidenori uh, Kusaka, and then uh, as well as uh, Mato and Satoshi Yamamoto for the art. The It's been to several arcs. The first arc primarily focuses as an adaption of the red and blue games, and then it kind of sequentially goes to each game after that. It's amazing. Uh, Lum, Vix, and Annalise Crispin all did a fantastic podcast about it ages ago. Go listen to it. It's really cool. Still one of our most beloved podcasts. It's our highest viewed on YouTube. It got the most watch time and likes. It's definitely resonated with a lot of people. And the series has resonated with a lot of people. It remains one of Wiz's highest sellers. And a lot of Pokemon fans love it. Myself included. I counted them among one of my favorite manga of all time. Top 10. So I'm definitely really excited for a premium release of the series since I have not collected too much of it. So I am glad to hopefully pick up these collector's editions. Yeah, I mean, like, this is just a great thing for Pokemon Adventures fans, and I know I want to dive more into Pokemon Adventures. I have only read the uh, Red and Blue arc. I still have to get through the Yellow arc and beyond. So, uh, Mm -hmm. hey, I'm definitely going to be collecting this. I know you're going to be collecting this. Lots of people are going to be collecting this. So, hooray for all the Pokemon Adventures fans out there. Indeed. But if you're just a general Nintendo fan, then there's another very cute Nintendo character that you are going to be very happy is getting a new art book coming out soon. Yes. uh. Kirby Art and Style Collection. Uh, Viz describes this as a stylish new hardcover book featuring the history of Kirby, the hero of the best-selling video games, including 25 years worth of sketches, artwork, video game box art, and merchandise, as well as exclusive notes from creators and artists who have brought Kirby to life throughout the years. This sounds fantastic. I am really excited for this it like kirby is such a great video game franchise and there's so much there like as far as artwork and different sketch stuff that i'm sure will fascinate fans including myself um if you want to pick this up it'll be out spring of 2020 and so yeah i I think that is definitely something that people should keep their eyes out for but uh there's also another uh art collection coming out soon. The Art of Junji Ito, Twisted Visions. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's not much really described about this one, but I assume it's some of uh, Junji Ito's fantastic artwork as usual. And uh, hey, that's always an instant sell for almost anyone. Yeah, there's a lot to look forward to if you're a fan of Junji Ito. He's going to be in Crunchyroll Expo this year as well, so... Which both of us will be there for, so... Yeah, hopefully we get to attend his panel, and maybe even more than that. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, for sure. Um, The next title that uh, this announced was Love Me, Love Me Not, or Omoe Omoare Furi Furare by uh, Ioi Sakisaka. 
So this is the mangaka that did uh, Aoharu Ride, um, or Blue Spring Ride. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, I, I know that's a really big title as well. I've heard a lot of people praise Blue Spring Ride. Um, so yeah, I'm sure that this one is also just as good. This is also coming out spring of 2020. Yeah, the premise of this series is that it's basically exploring love from people who have very different ideas of how to approach love. And it's basically kind of a messy love quadrangle. Like, the two main heroines are best friends, but they're in love with people related to the other person. So, like, one heroine is in love with the other's brother, and then the other is in love with uh, her friend's childhood friend. So, they have different approaches and philosophies on love, and then they also are in love with people related to their friends. So, it's quite interesting. I have no clue how the story turns out, but, you know, the premise alone and the idea of it definitely is intriguing. And being by the creator of Blue Spring Ride certainly gives it a lot of uh, intrigue because I'd like to see what uh, that author's follow-up series is like. And it's a completed series, and it's actually getting an anime adaptation next year alongside a live-action film. So this is the perfect time for this manga to be licensed. Yeah, for sure. But uh, the next announcement's also pretty big. Um, Hell's Paradise Jigokuraku. A physical release is coming out for it. Um, For those who don't know, Hell's Paradise is a very popular Jump Plus manga by uh, Yuji Kaku. It's uh, fantastic. Yeah, there's not much to really say about it. It's about, like, a guy who, uh, he can't, like, die or something. He, like, is immortal, basically, right? Yeah, he's a ninja. He's been excommunicated from his plan. The first chapter of the series is all about the shogunate trying to execute him but failing. Ultimately, he's recruited to join a bunch of other crazy, strong ex-convicts to head to this mysterious island in order to find the elixir of immortality. And this island is full of these crazy monsters that are inspired by uh, Shinto and Buddhist imagery and there's also a mystery behind these immortal godlike beings on this island called the Tensen. And so the mystery unrivals as a battle for survival occurs on this island as these convicts and their samurai executioner, like, oh, watch guards. Like, they're, they're basically assigned to keep watch over them and then kill them if they step out of line. But, you know, now on this island, they're all kind of have to be united in this fight for survival. So it's a fantastic series with in- really interesting characters, beautiful art, incredibly action-packed, very Blade of the Immortal-esque. You know, it really draws comparison to that series, not just because of the teams of immortality pursuing an immortal life, but also general ideas of, like, redemption, how to live life, and also just the action and the way it's drawn draws so much comparison. I really love it. It's definitely one of the best Jump-related series running right now, and I'm very happy that it'll finally be available in print. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the volume covers for it, and it looks beautiful. So this is definitely something worth collecting in print. Um, 
But if you want to check out the series before it's in print, you can read all of it for free on Manga Plus, as well as uh, you can read it on the Shonen Jump website and app if you have a Shonen Jump subscription. So go do that, because it's definitely worth it. And I know myself, I have to catch up, because I am super behind on it. But it's on my list of things that I definitely have to catch up on in the near future. Mm -hmm. But speaking of Manga Plus series that I'm super excited are coming out in print. This is another huge get for Viz. Uh, Blue Flag, Auno Flag, the amazing Jump Plus series by Kaito. Easily one of the most underrated mangaka to come out of Shonen Jump in the last few years. Or they did, uh, Cross Manage and Buddy Strike, both which were really damn good series. But, uh, they never really caught up in, uh, caught on in, uh, Weekly Shonen Jump, but when they moved to Shonen Jump Plus, they blew up with Blue Flag. I remember back around like the fourth chapter or so, people were talking about it like crazy on social media in Japan. So this is a huge deal. Um, I know uh Marlene first, one of the editors at Viz, and of course uh Lum and Colton have interviewed in the past is working on the series, as well as the entire team that worked on the Astro Lost in Space release at Viz. So this is in good hands. It's going to be a fantastic release, I'm sure. And this is a must-get for anyone who reads manga. Most definitely, especially if you're interested in a series that explores queer characters working out kind of their messy relationships and coming to terms with their gen identity, expressing their identity, and themselves. Like, it is very compelling and very heartbreaking if you've, you know, experienced those kind of emotions. But, like, it's also very affirming in a warm way. The story really explores really incredible ideas about not just gender, but just in relationships in general. And also the perceptions people have on just how to view... Uh, relationships and gender and just other people really like there's just this fantastic character in the series where at first glance if you've internalized all these tropes that you've come to expect in media you have like this expectation of her going into it that oh she is going to be this jealous very mean-spirited character and that's going to get in the way of our main heroine. But as you continue to, you know, read through the story, you find that can't be further from the truth. And it's so intentional the way Kaito pulls the rug out from under you to kind of point out, hey, this is bullshit. The way that we kind of project our idea of what people are like based on our very limited understanding of them just from a surface view and not really getting to know them or understand them. And the series really tears down just these really tropey ideas and these really ideas that have been internalized in society through unfortunate means. Ideas like you know, men and women just can't simply be friends that you might often see in media. 
but like the series really tears down ideas like that and it really plays with expectations no character is exactly what you expect or fall can be neatly placed into a box or an archetype or a stereotype so i really appreciate for that it's so smartly written i have not really encountered any other romantic drama like it and it is so compelling it feels like it's currently in an end game of sorts and as of recent chapters so we might see it end sometime soon i'm not sure about that it's just the feeling i've gotten from recent chapters but you know i read basically everything uh, the series had available on manga plus like the minute the backlog got filled in just one sitting one night because i couldn't put it down it was just that engrossing and that emotionally powerful that i needed to see what was going to happen to these characters and really let these ideas that kaito exploring sink in so really love the series highly recommend it and i'm so happy that it'll be available in print yeah and of course like lama said you could read like all of it for free right now on manga plus if you want to check out it's of course being simulpub just like hell's paradise so yeah definitely mm -hmm. a must get oh and yeah this last title that they uh, announced is something that i know our uh good friend maxi is very excited for it is uh transformers the manga by masumi kaneda and ban megami um so i these i know these two creators worked on i think the uh transformers uh tv series so mm -hmm. i know that this is probably a really cool manga i've heard really good things about it so yeah i definitely want to check it out myself yeah, apparently it expands on lore from the original series, so that is quite interesting. And I'm only very casually interested in Transformers as a franchise, but I do like the characters and I the general idea of Transformers, so I'm very much looking forward to, to reading the manga version. Yeah, and aside from those uh, manga announcements, uh, Viz also revealed... Uh... The second season of Castlevania, the animated series, is coming out this fall. They also previewed uh, Seimano, which is uh, coming to Netflix. Mm -hmm. And it's their first original animated series. This is getting into making their own animated series now. And it was really cool. We discussed this during our AX uh, podcast discussion, which will probably come out sometime after you're listening to this. But we go more into detail there. But basically, it was really cool to see this kind of action series that's taking influence from the likes of John Wu all the way to uh, John Carpenter that is really drawing on exploitation kind of aesthetic and feel, starring a, you know, mostly... Uh, black and a uh, Mexican cast. It's that's really nice to see. So I really enjoyed what they showed at the panel, which we managed to get into the this panel just in time for that. You know, they showed the animatic of an action scene first, and then they showed the final version and the act choreography looks really great as expected from the team behind castlevania and i guess just to clarify 
the second season of Castlevania is coming out to home video this fall, since, of course, it came out on Netflix last year already. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. of course. <laughs> but, yeah, this has a lot of exciting stuff coming out, a lot of stuff I'm looking forward to reading and watching. And I never find myself disappointed with Wiz's licenses and their announcements at any of their industry panels because they always bring out so many good stuff. Yeah, for sure. But uh I guess we should now move on to uh Yen Press who announced quite a bit at at Anime Expo. A total of uh fourteen manga and light novel licenses. Yes though two of these <laughs> have got to be rescinded. But yeah. we'll get to them. Yeah, I guess let's run through these. I'm not sure if I should do the descriptions as well, because there's a lot of these. I'll briefly go through them. Yeah, I'll, I'll try. But uh, the first title here is The Hero is Overpowered, but Overly Cautious, uh, also known as Kono Yuasha ga Ore Tuekuse ni Shincho Sugiru. Uh, this now is that the... part you can skip, the Japanese title. <laughs> That'll just take too long. Actually, yeah, because... A lot of these have to have these sounds, Jesus. But, um, yeah, so, uh, this is the manga of it. It's by Light Tuchichi and, uh, Koyuki. And this is about a, uh, goddess named, uh, Ristarte that summons a hero who excels <laughs> in every area to assist her. And, uh, he's everything she expected him to be except for one tiny thing. This anxious hero can't do anything unless he's absolutely sure nothing can go wrong. This seems like an interesting premise. I remember when we discussed the light novel license announcement a long time back. But it tickles me pink that the goddess is named Restarte. That's quite <laughs> on the nose for an Isekai series. Yeah. Born again in another world series. Literally a restart on life. <laughs> but yeah, the next title, though, is also something that uh, Yen Press has the light novel version of. It's I've Been Killing Slimes for 300 Years and Max Out My Level, the manga. This is uh, written by Kisetsu Morita and drawn by Yusuke Shiba. For those not familiar with the series, this is about a former office worker who decides to live a calm and peaceful life after dying of overwork. And even after she becomes the most powerful witch in the world. Presumably by killing slimes for 300 years. <laughs> I've heard relatively Watch positive... Watch out, Rimuru! <laughs> I've heard relatively <laughs> positive things about this series, so I should really check out the novels or the manga at some point. I'm almost down with an Isekai starring a female protagonist. That's yeah. I'm looking forward to the Reborn as a Villainous anime next year. Yeah, that one sounds really good as well. But uh, mm -hmm. speaking of series that sound pretty good, uh... And this is the point where we got into the Yen Press panel, so the licenses from here on out, we were there live when they were announced. Yeah, so, uh, Toilet Bound Hanako-kun. Um, this manga is by Iro Aida. The summary of it's, Hanako-san, Hanako-san, are you there? At Kamome Academy, rumors of abound about the school's seven mysteries, one of which is Hanako-san. Said to occupy mm. the third stall of the third floor girls' bathroom in the old school building, 
Hanako-san grants any wish when summoned. Nene Yashiro, an occult-loving high school girl who dreams of romance, ventures into this haunted bathroom. But the Hanako-san she meets there is nothing like she imagined. Kamome Academy's Hanako-san is a boy. The reason why that's a twist is that Hanako-san is a Japanese urban legend about a girl called Hanako who haunts toilet stalls. So, what? Yeah. Hanako is actually a boy? I think they mentioned them in, uh, in Yuna and the Haunted Hot Springs at some point. Yeah, I'm pretty sure J.K. Rowling also drew inspiration from the Hanako-san urban legend for that one character who is like this ghost in the bathroom in Harry Potter. What was her name yeah. again? I, I don't even remember. <laughs> she was in Chamber of Secrets. Yeah. But let's move on to the next title. The next title is uh, Im, Great Priest Imhotep. Um, by Makoto Morishita. The summary for this is From the Sands of Ancient Egypt to the Streets of Modern Japan. The newly resurrected great priest Imhotep traverses time and space on the hunt for the Magi, devious beings with an appetite for destruction who impersonate the gods. When schoolgirl Hinome crosses paths with this illustrious ancient, is her loner lifestyle about to change for the better? Or for the worse. This is also one that I've heard pretty good things about, so I definitely want to check it out. Yeah, Yen Press has previously released the series digitally, I believe. It's been digitally available for a while now. So nice to see it finally come out of print, and I definitely do want to check the series out because I am a fan of ancient Egyptian history and really like that aesthetically, so. Definitely curious about the series. Yeah, the next title is a little lewd. It is Breasts Are My <laughs> Favorite Things in the World. They definitely mentioned during the Yen Press panel that they had a lot of stuff for fans of booby manga. And literally, I remember when they were describing the series, like the guy was all like, He's literally born inside his boob. He's drowning in boobs. Something to that effect. Really playing up that aspect of it. Yeah, but uh, the summary for this is for Chiaki, the handsomest girl in the school, breasts are her passion in life, especially her friend Harumi's. This Yuri comedy brings a whole new meaning to the phrase bosom buddies. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I think it was a title down the line, the one with the cat that it was like, he's literally born in the boobs and swimming in boobs. But yeah, there there are a lot of booby manga that they talk about, including the next one. Yeah, After School Bitchcraft by uh, Yu Shimizu and uh, Kazuma Ichihara. Science teacher Renji Fuyami is secretly a sorcerer, but after his barriers are accidentally broken by a fashion-obsessed Ririka Kirise, he decides to make her his disciple. Looks can be deceiving in this titillating tale of the occult. you have anything to say on this one? <laughs> I don't really. I mean, I think it's pretty <laughs> self-explanatory, especially with that title. Yeah, I mean, I think this next one we'll have thoughts on, because it's a Raw Hero by Akira Hiramoto. For those not familiar with Hiramoto, or they are the creator of a Prison School. From the mind of Akira Hiramoto comes this... A super-powered story of heroes and villains that's wild, dirty, 
and unpredictable. Jackie is desperate to find a job and support his family, but when he sacrifices a job interview in order to stop a train groper, he winds up at the center of a fight between good and evil. This sounds super over the top, and that makes me want to read it. Indeed, and it would make sense for it to be over the top considering it's from the mind of Akira Hiramoto of Principal Fame, and I'm sure it's going to be quite as lewd and full of etchy as that series as well. There's probably going to be some quite boundary-pushing content in this one. Yeah, for sure. Um, But the next title is uh, I Don't Know How to Give Birth by Ayami Kazuma. Now this one, uh, despite what you might think from the title, actually sounds quite heartwarming, or at least very interesting. Yeah, so... uh. The humorous and heartfelt autobiographical comic essay of an otaku manga artist. Follow her journey as she learns the in and outs of pregnancy and childbirth. Yeah, this seems like a pretty good, like, educational manga, too. Just like That's exactly the word I was going to use. Yeah, that's, that's, I think that this could be quite a charming look into kind of dealing with pregnancy and the ins and outs of it. Yeah. But uh, the next title is I Am a Behemoth, an S-Rank Monster, but mistaken for a cat. I live as an elf's girl's pet. Um, This is by uh, Ginyoku Nozomi, with the light novel illustrations by Yano Mitsuki, and character designs also by Yano Mitsuki, and then manga art by Taro Shinonome. The summary is uh, Yano Mitsuki, after... Dying in a fight against the forces of evil, a knight found himself reincarnated as one of the most powerful monsters in the world, a behemoth. Problem is, he has to grow up before he can really start his stuff. And a baby behemoth looks an awful like a house cat. And when an elf adventurer decides to take him in, she may need his help as much as he needs hers. This seems like an interesting story. It does seem interesting, but again, as I already spoiled, when they were describing the series, they really emphasized how much time the cat spends inside the female protagonist's breasts. Yeah, I'm so, starting to remember that now. <laughs> they really wanted to stress that point. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not surprised at all. But uh, the next series on here is Interspecies Reviewers. Ecstasy Days. Um, this light novel is written by Habara Tetsu, with an original story by Amahara, and original designs by Masha, with art by W18. Um, I believe that, uh, this is a side story of, like, the main interspecies reviewers series, mm-hmm. if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, the summary for this is, in a world where a myriad races live side by side, it's only natural that shops serve, serving a great variety of tastes can be found. It's here that the adventurer Stunk and his troublemaking maker friends review everything that the exotic red light districts have to offer, where the only questions are who is the best and where do they go next. Whether it's enjoying the poison play with the ballistic and glasses or NTR play with the selkie, there's nothing to do but dive into these ecstasy days. This yeah, sounds, this sounds uh, like quite a raunchy manga about having sex with fantasy creatures. Yeah, I mean, they said they were going to have some lewd announcements, 
So, uh... Yeah, they, they did indeed. Yeah. But, I mean, this next one doesn't seem rude at all. Uh, it's Wandering Witch. Quite the wholesome dream. in comparison. Hmm? Quite wholesome in comparison. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's uh, Wandering Witch, The Journey of Elena by, uh, Jogi uh, Shiraishi and uh, Azuru. Uh, once upon a time, there was a witch named Elena who has set off on a journey across the world. Along the way, she meets all kinds of people, from a country full of witches to a giant in love with his own muscles. But with each meeting, Elena would become a small part of their story, and her own world would get a little bigger. I remember they, I think, uh, compared this a lot to uh, Kino's journey. So, uh... They did. I'm kind of interested in checking this out, if it's kind of a similar structure to that. Yeah, I mean, I definitely enjoyed that tone of Kino's journey and that kind of episodic adventurous feel. So yeah, this definitely has my interest and curiosity. Yeah, and uh, the next title is uh, the light novel The Penetrated Battlefield Should Disappear There, Bullet Witchcraft and Ghost Program. This is by uh, Kei Uekawa, with art by Teddy, and mechanical designs by Naohiro Washio. For a hundred years, East and West have waged a ferocious war with everything from tanks to witchcraft. On the savage battlefield, one young soldier from the East uses a bullet he's never seen before and kills an en enemy officer with it. After this, nothing will ever be the same for the boy. Rain Lance. Fate soon leads him to the mysterious bullet's maker, a young girl named Air, who warns him that anyone struck with the daemon's bullet he fired will disappear from the world as if they never existed. Armed with the staggering knowledge that every shot he takes will change history and destiny, where will Rain aim next? Hmm, this one seems kind of interesting. It's not a concept that I've really seen before. I don't know, I sort of feel like I've seen this kind of story before where it's like, it's just a war between people. Well, I guess, like, the gimmick of, like, you kill someone and then they're basically erased from existence. I guess that is an interesting thing. Like, if, when someone dies, they literally don't exist anymore. It'd be like if uh, everyone had a made in heaven. Basically, I, <laughs> I do wonder how far they'll go with that, for sure. Will he just become Poochie? That, that's the yeah. real question. <laughs> I really do like that gimmick. I, I just hope it doesn't get lost in all this kind of more conventional fantasy backdrop that this uh, you know, synopsis suggests. So Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll, we'll have to read it and see. Um, mm -hmm. Just like this other title. Well, this other title I know people love. This got yeah, the this most is, applause. This, is actually, this uh... got a lot of... Very happy people in the crowd. You know, it was a full crowd at this Yen Press panel, and it was like everyone was happy about this. Everyone with lots of cheers in the room. Yeah, so this, this is the light novel of Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Go Senpai. This was a mm. very popular anime um, in the uh, spring season? Or was it winter season? It was last fall season. Was it fall? Jeez, that was ages ago. Yeah. 
But the movie came out at AX, and there was so much demand, they had to cap the line. I mean, it was also in a very small room, so I'm not surprised. That is true, but even if they were put to put in one of the bigger rooms, they would have had to cap the line. They really underestimated the interest in that film. But uh, in any case, uh, this is written by uh, Hajime Kamoshida, with art by Keiji Mizoguchi. Um, for those not familiar with the premise, bunny girls do not live in libraries. This is simply common sense, and yet, that's exactly where Sakuta runs into one in the wild. More bewildering is who the bunny girl is. My Sakurajima, an older student who attends the same school and is a well-known actress currently on break from industry work. Wanting to find out more about the mysteries surrounding Mai, and maybe getting a little closer to her in the process, Sakuta launches an investigation to figure out what's causing this bunny girl to be invisible and unnoticed by everyone around them. Yeah, I mean, like you said, a lot of people really love this series, so it's cool that the uh, original light novel's coming out here. I definitely am going to pick this up at some point. Yeah, I definitely want to check it out for sure, especially after all the buzz that the anime has gotten. I really do want to check this story out. But uh, as we mentioned before, there are two titles that uh, Genpress announced at their panel, but uh, some uh, little problems came up with them. So yeah. initially at the panel, they announced Persona 5, Momento's Mission, and Persona 5 a la carte. But later on, Genpress announced on his website and on Twitter that due to an error on the company's part, the company mistakenly announced these licenses. So I think both of us were kind of theorizing on this that they likely were in the process of getting these, but they weren't uh, cleared to actually announce them. And that may have uh, shattered the deal. I believe so. Yen Press has not been granted the rights to publish these titles in English. So I think that them jumping the gun has kind of compromised their ability to publish these titles at all in the future. We'll have to see about that, but yeah, that's quite strange. Because again, they built up a lot of fanfare during the panel that, yeah, we got some Persona 5 manga. Obviously, people love Persona 5, so they were excited about that. But yeah, they probably should have double-checked. I wonder how this communication snafu occurred. My guess is that they were close to getting it cleared, but so, like, they kind of just assumed, like, hey, we can probably announce this when there was probably a specific date they had to wait to before they could announce mm-hmm. it. Yeah, they really just jumped the gun, and it's unfortunate. We'll see if another publisher picks up these titles or if Yen Press will be able to publish them as planned. Who knows, but... In any case, it's quite an odd occurrence that you don't see happen often in the manga publishing world. So it just does leave me curious, what could have happened to Kossel? Yeah, for sure. But uh, I guess it's time to move on to another publisher, which is uh, Square Enix. For those who have forgotten, Square Enix recently announced that they're entering the manga game directly under its new Square Enix manga and books imprint. So uh, they announced six new manga titles at Anime Expo. The first Mm -hmm. of these titles is 
Suppose a kid from the last dungeon boonies move to a starter town. Uh, this is written by Toshio Sato with art by Hajime Fusemachi. And the description of this is a young boy with big dreams ignores the neighbors who call him weak and heads to the imperial capital to become a soldier. But when the village you call home is the final bit of civilization before the last dungeon and you are descended from heroes, the word weak is completely relative. So yeah, this sounds like a cool idea. I, I definitely would uh, read it. It's interesting to note that the light novel, though, is already licensed by uh, Gen Press. So now both the manga adaption and the light novel are available. Um, so this will be coming in 2020 by Square Enix. So yeah, if people want to read it, they can check it out then. Mm -hmm. The next title here is Marked for Failure. The world's strongest stage reincarnates for a do-over. This is written by... Shinko Shoto with art by Kancho and Hyoko with character designs by Huka Kazabana. Um, so the description of this is the world's strongest sage will stop at nothing to achieve his greatness, not even reincarnation, but while his rebirth goes better than he could have hoped. Mathis lands in a world where no one recognizes his potential. Now it's up to him to prove everyone wrong. And this title is also coming out in 2020. In fact, all these titles, I think, are coming out in 2020. So, yeah, just keep that in mind. <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, the next title is a title related to one that we already mentioned, the Yen Press Batch. It's the manga version of Wandering Witch, The Journey of Elena. So the story for this is by Jogi Shiraishi and art by Itsuki Nanao and character designs by Azuru. So yeah, if you want to check out the manga version of this, uh, you can do so through uh, Square Enix next year. So it's really cool, again, that both the manga and the light novel versions are coming out. Most definitely. Um, and then the next title is Cherry Magic. 30 Years of Virginity Can Make You a Wizard. This is by uh, Yu Toyota, and the description of this is Adachi, a 30-year-old virgin, has developed the power to read people's minds by touching them. After a brush with his very handsome colleague, Adachi realizes he has a raging crush on no other than Adachi himself. Hmm. Well, it's definitely very gay, so I'm definitely down for it. Yeah, I mean, it notes here in the press release that's the first boys love manga Square Enix is publishing in English. So hopefully mm -hmm. if, if this does well, they'll release more. And uh, this was also yeah. serialized on... Uh, the Gangan picks up surface, so that's really cool. Mm -hmm. The uh, next title here is My Dress Up Darling by Shinichi Fukuda. Um, a high school boy with a passion for traditional dolls and a talent for sewing gets roped up into making cosplay outfits for one of the prettiest, most popular girls in class. As the odd couple grows ever closer, their interactions get even racier. Yeah. Yeah. Scandalous Cosplay Romance Series. Oh my. Mm-hmm. And then the final title they announced was The Misfit of Demon King Academy. History's strongest demon reincarnates and goes to school with his descendants. The description of this is, despite their appetite for destruction, even Demon Kings tire of all the blood and chaos sometimes. When 
Enoth reincarnates in hopes of a more peaceful life, he ends up going to school with his descendants in his old castle 2,000 years later, but with magic on its last legs in this era, no one is able to assess Enoth's true power. The story mm. for this is by Shu, with art by uh, Kaya Haruka, and character designs by Yoshinori. And, yeah, that is about it for uh, Super Enix's licensing announcements. Overall, I think that they're doing a good job of like setting up kind of what they plan to do in the future beyond the titles that they initially announced, like the Soul Eater Complete Collection and, like, uh, uh, what was it, High Score Girl. So I remember they mentioned uh, the whole, like, idea behind them even entering the English uh, manga space directly is that they want to bring out more Screen Enix titles that are not getting licensed by existing English publishers. So, like, they still plan to license uh, Square Enix titles to places like Gen Press and otherwise. But anything that's not really getting attention by those publishers, they want to bring those out themselves. Which is really cool, and it definitely is a great way to get more of their work out here legally and in English. Most definitely. And I think they've definitely chosen an eclectic selection of titles. So there's a lot of diversity here. There's a lot of different titles here to attract interest different people. And certainly there's a lot here that I am looking forward to as well. So this is a good batch and I'm going to be excited to see what the buzz surrounding them is like when they come out. But we've got once again another tidal wave crashing down on us from Seven Seas. This time it doesn't stand out as like a gigantic tidal wave, if only because the other publishers have had incredible waves of licenses of their own at AX, but once again, yeah, Seven Seas is not to be undone, and their output is still quite feat to surmount. But we will persevere and ride the wave. And the first license they announced at AX was the first volume of uh, the Bloom into View light novel series on Sayaka Saeki, which is written by Hitoma Iruma with Ill original illustrations by mangaka of the original Bloom into You manga, Nyo Nakatani. And it's going to come out in English on February 2020. And so the novel focuses on the character of Sayaka Saeki and her first experience liking a girl in her elementary school and her relationship with an older girl in middle school. And then there's a second volume that came out in Japan earlier this year that focused on her first year of high school with Toko, one of the main protagonists of Movement to You. But that has not been licensed with Seven Seas as of yet. But still, very, very happy to see this light novel get licensed. I know that it was very well received and it's a great story. It did a lot in you know, changing people's minds about the manga themselves. People who were on the fence on the manga after reading the novel, they liked it even more and kind of felt like they understood what the manga was going for even more. So definitely curious to read it myself as a fan of the manga. But they have also licensed another light novel series, Hiroyuki 
Aigamo's my status as an assassin obviously exceeds the heroes. That's going to come out on March 2020. It's actually a manga adaptation of the light novel series that they've licensed. And the story centers on Akira Oda, who is a high school student who has the special skill of not being noticed. So he's pretty much like Kuroko from Kuroko's Basketball. But he's summoned to a fantasy world alongside his classmates. And, you know, there are powerful heroes in this world. The task of defeating a dark lord or an even king. But he has some newfound skills as an assassin. And he uncovers a plot by the royal family. But as punishment is cast into a labyrinth to die. So he swears revenge on the king and seeks more power to achieve his task. And... Yeah, this premise sounds very similar to a lot of other light novel series, but we will see how it distinguishes themselves. It's worth noting that the mangaka also did the ASL World manga for Dengeki Bunko. So fans of the manga of ASL World might want to check it out if they enjoyed the mangaka's artwork. But... For fans of romance, and especially unusual romances, Kitafuko Yoshineko's Primitive Boyfriend is coming out either in the spring or summer 2020. They're not definite on this yet, but it's about a girl who's secret romance but is uninterested in herbivore men who are like passive indifferent, if you don't know what that term means. So she travels back in time 2.5 million years and encounters Gali, a primitive man, a few words, and a gentle nature. So this is very much <laughs> falls into the My Monster bo Boyfriend uh, subgenre of romance, which is oh has always been quite popular, but this is definitely a fun twist on it, which has this time-traveling element uh, and kind of an interspecies element, too. I mean, it's He's so primitive that he has hair all over his body, and I mean, he I don't think technically that is a uh, human. I think it probably is He's like... He's not a homo sapien. Yeah. But so, very fun little premise there. But yeah, that definitely a very striking premise, so I'm very much looking forward to reading it. As a fan of unusual, weird romance comics, like uh, My Boyfriend is a Bear was a recent one from last year that was really fun. Not a manga comic book, but still quite cute and enjoyable. But uh, as far as some other romance stuff go, we've got Akiko Morishima's Conditions of Paradise, which is coming out in February 2020, and this is a Yuri manga Anthology. It collects eight one-shot manga that Morishima previously has published in Comic Yurihime. Although some of these one-shots actually focus on the same characters. And Morishima is also known for the Yurikuma manga, which has been licensed by Tokyo Pop under the name Yuri Bear Storm. But yeah, if you're a fan of Morishima's manga and want to buy her work from a publisher that isn't Tokyo Pop, You'll have conditions to paradise to look forward to in February 2020. But uh, back to novels, Yoro Sumino's At Night I Become a Monster has been licensed and is going to come out in either spring or summer. And it's focused on an unnamed protagonist who turns into a monster at night. One night he 
goes to retrieve something he forgot at school, thinking no one would be there, but in his classroom, he meets a classmate of his called Satsuki Aino. So, how will she react to his secret? This is from the same novelist who wrote I Want to Eat Your Pancreas. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing how this story turns out as someone who really enjoyed I Want to Eat Your Pancreas, both at least the adaptations of the original work, because I've seen both the live action film and the animated film. So I wonder if this work of theirs is going to be adapted into a film sometime as well. Yeah, I definitely want to check this out too. Mm-hmm. I also really want to check out My Androgynous Boyfriend, which is going to come out in February 2020. It's focused on Wako, an employee at a publishing country, and her androgynous boyfriend who has perfect hair, makeup, and nails. And based on the cover of the volume, I definitely would agree with that. Definitely good to have some genderqueer, non-binary representation. Well... If they identify as a boyfriend, perhaps they have a preferred gender, but still gender queer. Very nice to see that kind of romance representation there. But uh, we also got another license here, Koi Gigant, which is by Hiroya Oku, who is best known for Inuyashiki. And this is about Yamada Yoko, a high school boy who has a movie producer for a father, and then one day he's out with friends to shoot a film and wants to enter a film festival, but he finds a poster of an adult video actress called Papiko, and that catches his eye. And the cover of the first volume definitely seems to emphasize a certain aspect of the heroine Papiko in a... Yumiko shirt. Very much riding the line of copyright there. Do not sue. This is definitely a swerve from Oku's previous work, which was definitely more violent, but we will see uh, how the story turns out. Yeah, I've heard pretty positive things about it, so it's definitely, I think, something that I'll keep my eye on. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not something I expect the creator of Gans to write, but, you know, I am always interested in stories that are about characters kind of exploring sexuality and also stories about people in artistic professions, like trying to work out their inner demons through their art. So definitely a lot of aspects to the premise that catch my interest. but. There is more on the way for Citrus fans to look forward to because a spin-off of Citrus called Citrus Plus is coming out as a digital simulpub this fall and with a planned print release that's coming out in February. I feel like this is one of Seven Seas' first digital simulpubs that they're doing, which is very interesting to me. But the, you know, I don't know what the premise of Citrus Plus is off the top of my head. I mean, we know that the premise of the original Citrus is like about two sisters, stepsisters, and they're, you know, very raunchy, yori hijinks ensue. But 
We'll see what the sequel is all about, or spin-off rather. But in terms of other kind of franchise-related things, we've got the first volume of Kyotaro Azuma's King of Fighters, A New Beginning manga. That's going to come out in January 2020. It's based off of SNK's King of Fighters 14 game. It's about the fighter Antona, who revives the King of Fighters tournament and once again draws all the series characters in conflict. I've never played King of Fighters. Do you have any familiarity with this franchise? I've played a few of the games. I've never played uh, King of Fighters 14, but I've heard really good things about it. I think Maxi's played it a little bit. I think he's mentioned this manga before, even. Oh, very interesting. Perhaps we might then cover it one day. If Maxi would be so inclined. But I would probably want to brush up on the game series themselves before. But for fans of the franchise, it seems that this manga might be worth checking out as a interesting telling of the story. But finally, the last seven seas licensed for now is Kari Tsurutani's Metamorphosis Veranda. Now, I think this is the one out of all of their license announcements, has gotten the most buzz and most praise for, because a lot of people have been wanting the series to come out over here for a long time, myself included. And yes, finally, the manga about a 75-year-old woman and a 15-year-old girl who become friends because of their mutual interest in BL manga is finally coming out over here. So... Yeah, this sounds like a really cute series about two generations of people, people 60 years apart, forming a kinship over the love of boys love manga. It sounds like really charming, uh, really sweet, and I cannot wait to read it. April 2020 can't come soon enough. This sounds like a fantastic title. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely want to check that out as well. That seems like a really cool, cool Heard series. buzz about this one for a long time, and I'm so glad it's been licensed. But we still have so many more publishers to go through, including J Novel Club, who have seven new light novels and three new manga they announced at AX. And we'll start off by the listing off their light novel announcements, which include Hagane Kurodome's There Was No Secret Evil Fighting Organization. Seriously? So I made one myself. And I have to say, this title, the way it's been localized, is really great. I really do appreciate that so much. And uh, basically the premise of this one is, you know, the protagonist wakes up with a superpower one day out of the blue, but there's no organization targeting the protagonist. So, yeah, again, basically, he makes his own villainous organization because, you know, otherwise his life is going to be really boring because he has powers. So, like, what does he do with them? Kind of just sounds like what happens in Overlord, where Heinz basically becomes both the hero and the villain. Is there... So there's really no hero in Overlord, right? That he has to fight it's against? It's just Heinz, like, manipulating everyone. Like, literally, he plays both sides of, like, 
good and evil and just like tries to gain more territory. That's like literally the plot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very interesting. But speaking of other interesting stories about other worlds, we've got Iruori Miyazawa's Other Side Picnic, Their Strange Exploration Files. And this is a novel that's set in the modern world, but there are doors that exist that can take people to the other side, where there are strange urban legends and internet stories, and those become a reality on the other side of these doors. It's basically, you open the door to the Twilight Zone, and you walk in, step inside, and you enter a world where the mysterious can become possible. But anyway, it's about a college student who finds herself exploring one of these doors, almost dies on the other side, but is rescued by another girl who is mysterious but skilled with a gun, and she seems to be searching for something, and together, both of these girls explore the other world with guns on the other side. So, yeah, this sounds kind of interesting. And I want to know what the mystery behind this other side is. So, very, very cool premise there. We've also got the combat butler and his automaton waitress. I believe this series has been available on Bookwalker for a while, I thought. It's by So. Yeah, so it mentions in the notes for the release that uh, this release will be in partnership with the Bookwalker release. So mm-hmm. I think, like, going forward, J Novel Club is going to help with the release, I guess. That makes sense, for sure. But to recap the premise of that series, it's basically about an ex-war hero and his, uh, you know, automaton waitress, they run a bakery. So, yeah, it's a cute series, you know, just about cooking, which is always very nice. Now, this next title doesn't have an English title approved, but it's basically Amiko Karuda's series, which is like, I'm... I was kicked out of the party for being a woman, essentially. So, yeah, this one definitely uh, was interesting to me, just on the premise alone. I think another more exact kind of title might be, like, Exiled Woman Forms the Strongest Tag Team with a Legendary Witch. It's kind of like an isekai story, or it's not really isekai, it's a fantasy story that kind of mocks sexist tropes in fantasy stories. Like, and I'm definitely down for that for sure. And yeah, so that's the one I I feel like that's one I'm definitely really looking forward to in terms of like the premise of the story sounds like a whole lot of fun and totally my bag. But another title that also doesn't have like an English title approved is Yusako Sakaishi's Senaru Kishi no Anku Kudo. And this series is, I think an English title you could give it is Holy Knight's Dark Road. And White Knight Paladin goes all Chuni Edgelord. Everyone thinks he snapped. Hilarity and some ass kicking ensue. It's also pretty etchy. So there you go. It's a Chuni fantasy story. 
And up next is Demon Lord Retry by Korone Kanzaki. This one, Demon Lord Retry, is about a regular guy who works at a game company. He manages an online game. He plays a character in the game, which is the Dark Lord, Mao. But one day when he logs on, he's whisked into the game's world as the character. And then he meets a one-legged girl. And he begins his adventures alongside her, but he is a powerful dark lord. Various nations of holy means ready to defeat him, and he stirs up trouble anywhere he goes. So this is like Overlord, basically, right? I guess. But yeah, I know this had an anime that came out this season, which I think is getting mixed reception. But maybe the light novel's better. Maybe. I do worry from the summary that there are ableist elements in that. So... It leaves me skeptical, but I will have to check it out myself to be sure. But next up, and the final light novel announcement on uh, J Novel Club's end is Yukia Murasaki's Altina the Sword Princess. And this series is a long-running war strategy fantasy series that is... By the same author of How Not to Summon a Demon Lord. So if you're a fan of that series, then maybe you'll be a fan of this one. And there are also manga licenses that they made, including Yu Yagami's Sorcerer, Stabborn Orphan, The Reckless Journey, which is a manga adaptation of the arc from the light novel series. There's also Kochi Mo's Cooking with Wild Game, which is based on the Light Novel series that JNOP Club is also releasing. And, well, uh, I wanted to just describe the synopsis of Cooking Wild Game, which is, is about a restaurateur whose family restaurant is under siege from developers desperate for land, and then an accident quote-unquote, lances that in the hospital. So the protagonist, you know, he can't bear to see his father lose his beloved cooking knife along with anything else, so he dives into the flames of his burning restaurant, and it collapses on top of him. And the next thing he knows, he's waking up in a mysterious forest with nothing but clothes on his vest and his father's knife. He's taken in by a young woman of the remote forest edge community, and then he tries his best to make his new life Work by using his dad's training to teach his savior and her neighbors the joys of well-cooked food. So, another cooking manga with a survivalist bent to it. But yes, the final license is Demon Lord Retry, the manga by Amaru Minotake. So, yeah, there you go. If you wanted to check out both the novel and the manga, J Novel Club has them both. And that's not all, because J-Novel Club also announced that they're going to launch a Kickstarter crowdfunding campaign this fall to print the first 31 volumes of Takehaya and Hocho's Invaders of the Rokujuma light novel series. And the campaign is going to fund the release of the series in 10 softcover omnibus books, with each book containing 3 or 4 volumes of the light novel series. The primary goal of the campaign is going to be $50,000 with an extra reward of an art book, 
pay two stretch goals, which will consist of a collector's box and a drama CD. And the company plans to deliver the rewards from the Kickstarter campaign in the first half of 2020 if they are funded. Jay Novel Club licensed the series way back in 2017 and is going to be caught up with the Japanese releases of the novels very shortly because the 32nd volume launched in Japan earlier this month. It's interesting that they're doing it with this series because, like, I haven't seen that many people talk about Invaders of the Rokojima. So, like, I wonder if they're going to have enough demand to get this funded. I think they weighed their options and felt that the fan base was niche enough that the best way to release the series in print would be through Kickstarter as a means of basically gauging interest before committing to having this print release. Basically, they're using Kickstarter as a means to have the fans directly commission them, make this into print books. So, like, that's who they're targeting with this. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, like, if there will indeed be enough fan interest and demand to help them raise their goal. Because it is quite a hefty price point. And I know Kickstarters that have struggled to meet less lofty goals, for sure. But we will see about this. But additionally, uh, J-Novel Club has also announced that it's going to release Satoshi Haze's Beefless novel in two volumes. And this release is in partnership with Tokyo Otaku Mode. And there we go. A lot here from J-Novel Club to look forward to, for sure. And there's even more to go with the other publishers. Well, that's indeed true, because Soul Press is also in the game and they announced at an expo they they've licensed Kengo Matsumoto's How to Treat a Lady Knight Right and Yasushi Baba's The Ride on King manga. And the first volume of both mangas were made available at Anime Expo. But the Ride on King is about Alexander Putinov, the president for life in the country of Prussia, which is ruled by violence and influence of this government, and Alexander wants things to always be dominant and write things literally or figuratively. And so now that he's already ridden his country, his next target is a fantasy world that has orcs, wyverns, and centaurs. And the cover of the manga has him ride like a griffin, basically. He's riding a griffin, so... Yeah, I've heard pretty good things about this manga, too. Like, yeah. apparently it's pre- it's a pretty cool-ass series. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a crazy fun time. But yeah, I... How to Treat a Lady Knight, their other license, is about the strongest female knight named Reo, who has never once been treated like a woman. But one day, a sorcerer suddenly confesses to her. So, I guess it's just about this lady knife kind of falling in love, basically. And I don't know what they mean by never once being treated like woman. You know, I am kind of worried about the premise and it may be...
leading into some antiquated ideas about gender and re how relationship dynamics are. But we will see. I do think the cover is quite cute. I like that the female knight has very well-defined muscles, though I think that her body armor is very odd because, like, why is she exposed in her belly area? That seems very vulnerable to attack. So we will have to see how this series turns out. But yes, Soul Press is also going to release three adult games from the developer, Windmill. But these games are also going to have all ages versions as well. And these games are Witch's Garden, Hyper High Speed Genius, and Happiness 2 Sakura Celebration. So there you go. But next up is Denpa, one of the hottest newer publishers on the scene. They just debuted last year, and they made waves by having Kaiji one of their first announcements, and Kaiji's finally coming out this fall. But they've recently announced they've got two new manga series on the way. They got The Girl with the San Paku Eyes, which is a tentative title, and Guabano Holiday. And so The Girl with the Sampaku Eyes is by Shinsuka Sorato and it's going to come out in spring 2020 and it's about a girl who has a scary face and trouble expressing herself. She's constantly misunderstood by the boy who sits next to her and whom she has a crush on. So this is kind of like Komi-san if Tadano wasn't able to understand her, essentially. I guess. I've definitely seen this series online before, like... Just like random pictures of it. And yeah, it mm. looks pretty good. I, I definitely want to check it out. It's cool that Dempo licensed it. Most definitely. And we've got another manga from Papanya, Guabana Holiday. And of course, Dempa previously released Papanya's Invitation to Collab. But this book is about the author's time in the Philippines as they encounter the eponymous Guabano fruit. And it contains some sorts that were self-published and others that were serialized in Hakusenshi's Raccoon Anthology. So I heard a lot of great things about Invitation from a Crab, and definitely looking forward to seeing more of Papanya's work come out over here. But now I think we can move on to our last two publishers, Vertical and Kodansha. Would you like to take those away, Reloid? Yes, of course. Um, so Vertical announced quite a few things. Um, first of all, uh, Vertical announced at the Kodansha Comics panel that, uh, they had licensed, uh, A Trail of Blood and Daily Lives of High School Boys for a physical release. And they will also be releasing, um, The Great Cleric, The Slime Diaries, That Time I Got Reincarnated as a Slime, Goodbye, I'm Being Reincarnated, and The Night Cartoonist and Her Orc Editor, for digital releases. So if you're fans of any of those, um, Vertical's got you covered. Mm -hmm. The next thing announced is something I'm very excited for. It is an audiobook versions of Bake Monogatari. So they had previously released uh, audiobooks for Kizu Monogatari and Neko Monogatari White, both of which were fantastic. 
So now they're hitting up the original three novels of Bakemonogatari, and the first part will be released in fall 2019, with the second and third parts in 2020. And yeah, I'm mm-hmm. definitely going to be picking these up, because they are, they are fantastic. Oh yeah, I really enjoyed listening to those audiobooks. Those were my first exposure to the story of Monogatari having not read the novels or seen the anime, and I really enjoyed listening to these those audiobooks of Kizu and Neko. So definitely looking forward to Bake being done in audiobook form too. Yeah. Vertical also mentioned that the first uh part of the Owari Monogatari novels will be shipped in October, um, which is the mm. beginning of the end for uh, Monog- Monogatari final season, as they call it. So uh, they're soon going to hit up Monster Season, hopefully, which I hear has some really cool novels as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then moving on from those, they also licensed Shuzo Oshimi's A Trail of Blood. Um, this will be released in English in early 2020. Um, for those who are not familiar with Oshimi's work, they have previously done Flowers of Evil, which I know is very popular, as well as Inside Mary. So, uh, the description of this is an ordinary middle school Student Seichi Osabe receives love and care from her mother Seiko. Until one summer, an incident changes the family dynamic forever. Hmm. So yeah, it seems uh like a pretty uh mysterious premise. I'm sure there's going to be an interesting twist there. Oshimi's manga are always really about really twisted emotions and protagonists dealing with some really dark stuff. I'm quite a fan of their series Happiness, which is basically about vampires. Ah, uh, yeah, I knew I was forgetting a series. <laughs> yeah, Happiness I really like. So, this strikes me as a series that could be quite similar in terms of just dealing with some really dark stuff and that being explored in kind of a gruesome, oftentimes uncomfortable way. Well, okay. The next series that uh, Vertical announced was The Daily Lives of High School Boys by Yasunobu Yamuchi. Um, and this is described as High School Boys Be Fools. Follow the bizarre adventures of Tadakuni, Hidenori, and Yoshitake at the All Boys Sarada North High School. This is a high school slice of life comedy that will keep you laughing. And uh, this was published in uh, Square Enix's Gangon Online um, website in 2009 and ended its run in September of 2017. And this had a very popular anime adaptation. I know a lot of people compare its sense of humor to the likes of Gintama or whatnot. And yeah, I think that this is a great license to make. I'm surprised it's taken this long for someone to license the series, considering how popular the anime was and how well-regarded as a comedy it was. But yeah, just a story about silly boys. I think this has a lot of appeal for a lot of people, and myself included, I'm very much looking forward to reading it. Yeah, and then the next series that they mentioned was uh, 
The Great Cleric by Hiro Akikaze. Um, so this one is about an ordinary salaryman who cheats death and now must find his way in another world as a great healer. And uh, they plan to release this digitally on July 23rd. Um, the mm -hmm. next series we have here is uh, Shiba's The Slime Di Diaries, the, that time I got reincarnated as a slime, um, which will be released digitally on July 30th. And of course, this is a four-panel gag comic based on the hit series, That Time I Got Reincarnated as a Slime. So if you want some uh, gag antics after that uh, great first season or as a fan of the light novels or manga, go check this out. Mm -hmm. Then uh, the next series here is uh, Kenji Saito and Pato Bora's Goodbye, I'm Being Reincarnated, which will debut digitally on August 6th. This is from the creator of uh, Trinity 7. Um... And is about an ordinary high school guy's big chance to become the one true hero when one day he's greeted by a princess from another world. And uh, mm. then the last series here is uh, Indo So and Takafumi Sato's The Night Cartoonist and Her Orc Editor, uh, which will debut digitally on August 13th. Um, it's about a reverse otherworld incarnation of hijinks about an orc reborn in this world as a manga editor and the knight who becomes a manga artist. If you're looking for a unique insider look into the manga industry, this is it. Maybe. <laughs> well, I think this is definitely a fun spin on manga about manga comics and about reincarnation comics. So definitely an interesting combination of genres there, and definitely it strikes me as a fun premise. I'd like to see how this turns out, how these characters reborn to these other worlds, like, deal with their new, completely different professions. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely kind of want to check this one out. It seems like it'd be really hilarious. Mm -hmm. Really solid batch of licenses from Vertical here. Yeah, and uh, it only gets better with uh, Kodansha here. So the first thing that uh, Kodansha announced at uh, their Anime Expo panel was licensing the French comic Beyond the Clouds, La Fille Tombée du Ciel by uh, Nike. Kodansha describes the comic as In the yellow city, factory smoke clouds the sky. Young Theo has never left the city or seen the stars. He always dreamed of adventure. But eventually, he has to face the reality and start working at the Chikua repair shop. Then, everything changes when he finds a little girl with a single wing, an injured angel who has lost her memory. Perfect for fans of Studio Ghibli and Final Fantasy, enter the poetic world of Beyond the Clouds. So, um, uh, Nikkei launched this comic, uh, last year, and the comic has, uh, anime project, uh, collaboration with Gonzo. So, uh, that's really cool, and, uh, there's also a, uh, video out there for the announcement, announcement of the Gonzo Project itself, so you can definitely check that out online. Mm -hmm. And then the uh, next title that uh, they announced was Yayoi Ogawa's Knights of the Ice, which will debut in English in 2020. Um, it is about Chitose, a regular hardworking woman who writes for the health magazine Sasso. Oh, and she's a childhood friend with famed figure skater Kokoro Kijinami in the public eye and on the ice. Kokoro 
is a gallant, flawless knight, but behind his glittery costumes and breathtaking spins lies a secret. He's actually a hopeless romantic otaku who can only land his quadrums when Jitose is on hand to recite a spell from his favorite magical girl anime. This sounds real fun. Yeah, this sounds like it'd be a ton of fun. Um, this ran in a Kodansha's Kiss magazine um, from September 2012 to June 2017, and it's a total of 11 volumes. So yeah, These characters um, would be right at home in Wotakoi. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So that's really cool. It's also worth noting that uh, Ogawa's previous series, uh, Tramps Like Us, was added to uh, Comixology last month. So if you want to get a taste of their previous work, you can check that out, of course. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this next series is one that I had heard out about for a very long time, and I'm happy it's finally licensed. It's Reiji Miyajima's Rent-A-Girlfriend, or Kanojo Okarishimas which will also debut in English in 2020. Um, this series is about online service that rents out dads, children, and girlfriends. Um, and when Kasia's true love dumps him, he's just desperate enough to try one, and he's shocked at how cute and sweet his rental girlfriend turns out to be. But when she wants to keep their relationship a secret, and there's a complication, she goes to his university. And their grandmothers are in the same home. And they live next door to each other. And Kazuya finds out she's not nearly as nice in real life. <laughs> so yeah, I've, I've heard about uh, the series for a while. And it, I know it goes in some really interesting directions too. It's very, it's a very cool series. I, it gets pretty emotional at times too from what I hear. And yeah, it's definitely one that I'm really glad is licensed. Um, and I'll definitely be checking it out for sure. Definitely sounds like an intriguing premise that could be a good vehicle to explore some very interesting themes about relationships and how one presents themselves to the world and to society as large and hide their true selves, treaters, personas behind private doors. So yeah, definitely a series that intrigues me a ton. Yeah, for sure. So the next series that uh, Kodansha announced was... was uh, and Kanata... Kanata Konami's Su and Taichan, which is by the mangaka of Cheese Sweet Home. Mm-hmm. You can tell by how cute the cats are. Yeah. I, I immediately saw the cover. I'm like, oh, that seems familiar. <laughs> so this is about Su, Su, an aging house cat who's looking forward to living out her life in peace. But her plans change when the mischievous black tomcat Taichan enters the picture. Hey, Sue never signed up to be a cat sitter. <laughs> yeah, this seems like a really fun manga. I, I definitely want to read it. And yeah. Oh yeah. Um. So the next title here is uh, Kintetsu Yamada's uh, Sweat and Soap. This uh, The description here is Guys living her dream, working at the toiletry maker Lila Drop. Little do her co-workers know, the reason she loves the company so much is that she's just ashamed of her body odor. And their soap is the only thing that does the trick. So when the company's lead product developer, a perfuming genius, approaches her in the lobby and wonders what that spell is, she's terrified. But could it be that he likes it? And even more surprising to Yai, does she like him? This seems like it could be pretty cute. 
It could be, though I'm worried that the male protagonist might get a little too close, a little too touchy in ways that violate, like, you know, her privacy and all that stuff, so. Yeah, that, that definitely I could see being a concern. Especially from the cover. I don't know. Yeah, that, that doesn't seem consensual. No. So, definitely one that could be really fun. You know, all about series as like, hey, love your body. Love what's natural. But then also, hmm, I don't know. That you might get a little too touchy, a little too close in ways that violate your privacy. But we will see. We will see. Luckily, this is not the only uh, interesting romance series that they've licensed. Yes, they also announced, announced uh, Natsumi Ando's Something's Wrong With Us. This is by the creator of uh, Kitchen Princess and Arisa. Um, it's a suspense story about a man and a woman who are connected by the world of traditional Japanese sweets. And we'll have readers dying to know what happens next. It, and uh, they know it's perfect for fans of shoujo with an edge. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this seems interesting. I never got the impression that her previous series had an edge. I thought they were all just these very cute, kind of very sweet little series, but hey. They also did Zodiac P.I., right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I've seen a little bit of the anime for that, I think. And a little bit of the manga. Yeah, we have the manga. Yeah, that's why I remember (laughs) it. But, um, yeah, I think I'll definitely check this one out for sure. And then the next mm-hmm. series here is uh, Mingo Ito's Yuzu the Pet Vet. Yeah, when... this one is for the dog lovers out there. Yeah, for uh, sure. In contrast to the cat lovers having their Sui and Taichan, the dog lovers can have this series. Yeah, so the summer here is when young Yuzu's mother is hospitalized. She has to move in with her uncle, who runs an animal clinic. Yuzu has always been scared of animals, but an encounter with a boy and his dog turns fear into a desire to learn. And before she knows it, a whole new world has opened up, perfect for aspiring pet vets of all ages. Yeah, this seems like just a pretty cute series. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Comforting little animal manga. Always nice to see. Yeah, for sure. And uh, the last thing Kodansha announced is a pretty big get. Uh, they announced that they will re-release Kazuya Minikura's Sayuki. Um, this will be a 400-page hardcover volume release with new translations beginning in 2020. Um, the summary of Sayuki, for those who are not familiar with it, is uh, Genjo is a Buddhist priest in the city of Shrengala, when which is being ravaged by yokai spirits that have fallen out of balance with the natural order. His superiors send him on a journey far to the west to save the city. His companions are three yokai with human souls. Um, so this is like a uh, twist on Journey to the West, if I recall. And uh, I know mm-hmm. a lot of people who love this series to death. And uh, it's really cool that the manga is uh, getting relicensed. I know uh, Tokyo Pop had the license before this, I think. So, uh, yeah, a brand new translation. Hopefully they'll be able to even maybe go and uh, cover the series after the original if this does well. All in all, just a really great get for uh, Kodansha. 
Yeah, nice to see another classic get license rescued for sure. Yeah. But just also to discuss some of the other Kadansha announcements, they announced that they're going to be publishing Chobits and Clover to its Kadansha Classics line. They also are going to debut St. Youngman, Farewell, My Dear Kramer, Living Room, Matsunaga-san, and Perfect World in print. St. Youngman is going to come out just in time for Christmas, while Farewell, My Dear Kramer, Living Room, Matsunaga, and Perfect World are all going to come out in 2020. So that about rounds it up for all the licensing announcements, which took quite a long time to go through. But as you can see, as you have heard, there is just so much to cover. And there's definitely a lot to look forward to that I can't wait to dig into when they all finally start coming out later this year and it's throughout next year. But this isn't the end of the Kadansha-related announcements because they had a really big Sailor Moon-related announcement. Yeah, so uh, as a part of uh, Sailor Moon's 25th anniversary project, Toei announced... Um, that uh, the Sailor Moon manga is going to be getting a worldwide digital release in 10 languages. And the releases started on July 1st. Um, I believe the first five volumes are available right now. Yeah, so this is a huge, huge like deal. It's always kind of weirded me out that Sailor Moon hasn't been available digitally. Because of how big of a franchise it is, so it's mm-hmm. about time and more people can experience the, this amazing series. Yeah, and these are the Eternal Editions, the newest editions Kadansha's put out, too. Yeah, so I think so. there's even some value in like me or you buying it, in a sense, because we have the uh, release before that, which I think is the Shinso Bonds. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, those Eternal Editions are real beautiful. I mean, I... Get the print, definitely, because those print hardcovers are super stunning, especially with all the color pages. But if you can't purchase the print, then having digital option available is also really great. Yeah, for sure. Um, But this wasn't the only thing that Toei announced. Uh, They also gave an update on the Sailor Moon Eternal two-part anime film project. Um, so it will open in 2020, and they released a uh, new video showcasing uh, the character designs and voices, of course. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it just looks amazing. Jackie Kahn is, of course, returning as the director to save anime. <laughs> and then uh, Kazuko Tadano, the character designer of the original Sailor Moon anime, is designing the characters this time. Which is amazing. And yeah, then, uh, they really managed to give all the personality of the original 90s designs, but really give it a new, fresh coat of paint. Like, really give them a modernized look while still retaining that nostalgic feel. So, I really do love, like, the new key visual that shows off Asagi and Chibiusa, like, in their signature poses. And... Yeah, that, of course, last but not least, Kazuyuki Fudeyasu who's worked on the scripts for all five parts of JoJo, is doing the scripts here. So yeah, really an all-star staff here, and I am super excited for this. It's kind of funny how, like, after those first two seasons of Sailor Moon Crystal, 
The series has just rapidly become better. Sailor Moon Season 3 is mind-blowingly good, and I'm sure Eternal is going to be just as amazing. Most definitely. It's a shame that people still write off the Crystal Project just on the basis of the first two seasons, because that third season with Shakiko directing, it was tons of fun to watch. But... Yeah, I am definitely looking forward to these films with these new character designs, with the production time they've had on it. I think these films could be the best of the modern Sailor Moon anime yet. And I am really looking forward to how they turn out. But these aren't the only film-related projects, the only announcements that Kajansha has made because they had a huge panel at AX. They had a hugely promoted one the uh, for Katsuhiro Tomo of Akira fame, the creative Akira, like one of the most prolific mangaka and directors in the industry. They had a big panel for him at Anime Expo that we weren't able to attend because, you know, we were at the Pokemon movie premiere, but regardless, they made so many insane Akira-related announcements. Not just Akira, Katsuhiro Otomo-related announcements, because they revealed at the Katsuhiro Otomo panel that they are going to launch the Complete Works Project with Otomo. They're going to release Otomo's entire body of published work since his professional debut in 1971. That's internationally. Yeah. Atomo said he's looking forward to the project, even if he might be embarrassed by his early works. But, yes, like, Otomo's works are going to, you know, be restored to how they originally appeared in their original serializations. And there's so many of Otomo's works that we haven't gotten over here, even though we have, like, some of them, like Akira and Domu. So Yeah, but even Domu's been like out of print for a very long time, I think. Oh yeah. So yeah, getting a new release of that will be amazing and everything else he's worked on, that's just really cool. Like not even like Akira Toriyama has everything he's worked on released over here. So mm-hmm. getting Otomo, such a legend, having all his work available in English is such a dream. That's a blessing. Most definitely. This is a huge deal in of itself. But then they went to announce this. Now, actually, if you attended AX, you already kind of knew that this was coming, that he had a new film coming out because that was the banner on top of, like, the Los Angeles Convention Center that uh, Tomo was making a new film. Just a little inconspicuous there. It's just a giant banner in front of the convention center. No one will notice it. But at the panel itself is where they showed a trailer where they revealed a title that it was called Orbital Rise. This is Otomo's third feature film after Akira and Steam Boy. It's going to be a science fiction story set in space following the coming of age of youths on the space colony over the course of four seasons of a year. The trailer shows out some fantastic CG visuals. It has a very striking uh, cover image. Uh, they showed off some character designs and some background designs, conceptual art during the panel that looks real interesting. 
and they noted that the main character is actually American, but in the teaser image, like his helmet actually features the CCP logo from the Soviet Union. And although the story is going to be set in the future, and it's not going to be rooted in real science, it's going to have actually more of a fantasy element. And so there we know a concept art of the space colony and main character, but so far that is like most of what we know other than Otomo is the creator of this work, he's designed for the film, he's written the CD fair, and he's directing this, so yeah. Uh, again, the premise is that the plot takes place in the near future on a space colony under construction. It's an action-adventure story following the lives of some young boys surviving this peculiar environment in society as they are tossed around by fate. Reality founded in mankind's future is going to be depicted through their perspective. I think this could be a really cool planets-esque type series from Otomo. And I'm curious to see how it all turn out. Like a new feature film from him is really, really cool. But, speaking of Akira, his first directorial debut, uh, that's going to actually get a bit of a remaster, a 4K remaster next spring in Japan, and that's also going to be released in the United States as well. But, in addition to that, Akira is also going to get a new anime adaptation, which is insane. The original manga version of Akira is getting a new anime adaptation. We don't know what form that adaptation will take, but perhaps it'll be a television adaptation. That would be really cool to see. I personally would love to see an Akira adaptation that adapts the manga story in its entirety, so that's something to really look forward to. Yeah, I mean, uh, the CEO of Sunrise, uh, Makoto Asanuma, mentions that they want to incorporate the entirety of the manga story. Mm-hmm. So uh, take that as you will. Yeah, I'm thinking that as a promising sign. And so all of this news, of course, comes with the ongoing development of the Akira live-action film. So you would really think that 2020 and beyond, there's just so much Otomo-related stuff to look forward to. Except there is one caveat in that the Akira live-action film has been delayed indefinitely. A couple weeks out of AX, we got reports from Variety that Warner Bros. is delaying production on Akira, which was supposed to begin production this fall and scheduled for a summer 2021 release because Taika Waititi, who was supposed to direct the film is going to be directing Tor 4 instead. And, you know, originally, the production was supposed to be done earlier, but Taika Waititi was, like, in the process of choosing the lead roles from among Japanese actors. But there have been a lot of creative disagreements over the project. So I think Taika Waititi, unfortunately, might have been unhappy with how it was shaping up and have just left the project entirely. We don't really know that for sure yet, but all we do know is that the project is on hiatus while he is directing Tor 4. The best film franchise. Yeah, I mean, Warner Brothers wants to keep YTT on as the director and see him continue the project after he's done with Tor 4. 
But, you know, Tor 4 is going to take a long time to make, so who knows when Akira will actually come out, if it ever does. Yeah, I mean, with Waititi directing, they had, like, somewhat of a bit of hope that would turn out okay. But if they didn't now, I feel like I, I don't really trust Warner Brothers that she was a good director a second time. Hmm. Yeah. But hey, who knows? If it comes out, it comes out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah, we will see. But perhaps one thing that might help in the film Getting Maid's Favor is that Katsuhiro Otomo, alongside Mamoru Oishi, has been invited to join the Oscars Academy. So... This is actually a rare occasion where the Academy has finally extended invitations to people who have worked in the Japanese film industry, not just including Oshii and Otomo, but also director Takashi Nakamura, who is known for Harmony and Fantastic Children, director Mako Kamisuna, who is known for We Are X and Black Cat, actress Akira Saki, who is known for the live-action Ajin, editor Shigeru Nishiyama, who is known for Mirai and Sword Art Online, the movie, production designer Akiko Matsuba, who is known for Shoplifters and like Father Like Son, producer Yuichiro Saito, who is known for Mirai and Boy and the Beast, and visual artist Ryo Sakaguchi, who is known for Gabe and Trones of the live-action Speed Racer. And in addition to that, they also invited... Atsuko, Hirayuki, they invited a lot of people, including Maruhara Soda, to join the Academy last year. And Makoto Shinkai. And Shinkai. And Miyazaki. And they've invited a lot of people before. Whether or not that they accept is another story entirely. But it is on the table that Katsuhiro Tomo could join the Academy. Yeah. I mean, I have very uh, strong opinions about the Academy and their uh, <laughs> claims of diversity. Um, yeah. I guess I could say that they're trying, but I feel like at the same time, are they trying or are they just trying to... Is this just tokenism? Yeah, them them trying to respond to the criticism that's been there for like a decade. Which, yeah. when you when you have, like, they don't, like, the list included 842 invitations. Of those 842, you don't have that many from Japanese content. That's still a small ratio. And maybe they do have more, like, on the international side. I probably need to look at the entire list. But, uh, I don't know. It's it's definitely good that Oshi and Otomo got invited, though, because, like, they are legends. They should have been in there a long time ago. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, we will see whether or not they accept. But that about does it for all the Kodansha-related project announcements. But that isn't it for prestige announcements from acclaimed artists and directors, because Yoshitaka Amano is developing a new anime series called Gibiate for summer 2020 release. This was actually an announcement made during the closing ceremonies at Anime Expo. They sent out this big press release saying, oh, you gotta stick out around for the closing ceremonies. There's gonna be this big announcement at the yeah, closing ceremonies. Yeah, I went to the press lounge like near the end of the convention there for telling everyone, like, hey, go to the closing ceremonies. There's gonna be something big there. And we're all like, 
will there really be anything big at closing ceremonies? Because, like, usually nothing important is announced at closing ceremonies. Like, no one really goes to it, I feel. But, mm-hmm. uh, joke's on us, because they did announce something. Indeed they did. So, this is a new series from, of course, the famed Yoshitaka Amino, who is going to be the character designer of this anime, while Naoki Serizawa is, uh, you know, best known for Resident Evil manga and Sarulag, they're designing the monsters. Uh, Yuzo Koshiro is the sound creator. The Yoshida brothers are the art musical artists. Ryo Aki is credited with project planning the original story, and actor Harumi Sakimoto is credited as a performer. And Gibbate is basically described as an ultimate survival story, an ultimate survival action story about Japan in the year 2030 after a virus has taken over the earth and people have become monsters and they're changed into forms that depend and vary based on their age, sex, and nationality. The virus is called Gibier, wild game for many varieties. And it's like an Edo-era time-traveling samurai and shinobi appear in these post-apocalyptic ruins. And they help a doctor who has dedicated his career to research a cure for Gibier. And with hordes of Gibier after them, the outlaws uh, are also attacking them other travelers for food, you know, everywhere they turn, danger is upon them. And so we got some, you know, key art uh, of characters, including the main samurai guy who traveled from Edo, Sensui Kanzaki, who is known as a Seningri, a thousand man slasher, who kept on several enemies during the Senkoku period with his twin swords of a Western sword and a Japanese katana. So that's quite an interesting pair there. But, you know, he has made himself a commandment against killing now. So, very Kenshin-esque. Uh, No-kill policy. But we also know another character is including Kathleen, who is Dr. Yoshinaga's assistant, who is an optimistic half-blood girl who is not good at fighting. And she manages to save Sensui and Koroku as they just arrived in the modern world, and Kenroku Sonata is a ninja who traveled from the Edo period with Sensui. He's a blood relative to the Sonata family, and uh, that they are the Sengoku Daimyo of the Shinano domain, and he's cheerful and energetic and fights against Gibias with his bombs. So, there we go. And they had a preview trailer for this series too that showed off the animation showed off how it looks and it does look really fantastic i mean yeah the animation the the color design like this looks like a high quality prestige project and as expected from you know the character designer of the final fantasy games like this the character designs look real interesting look real cool yeah, so sure. this is like a Vampire Hunter D for the modern age. This series might very well be. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, that does not even cover it in terms of all the exciting things to look forward to next year because we've got the triggers of the Hakaban now, don't we, be like? Yeah, Um. so at the Anime Expo panel for Trigger, they announced uh, their new television anime, BNA, Brand New Animal. 
which is directed by Yoyo Shinari, the director of Little Witch Academia, and written by Kazuki Nakashima, the writer of Gurren Lagann, Kill a Kill, and Promare. Um, so this, uh, there's no specific, uh, release season that it's gonna be in so far, as far as we know. It's still just slated for a general 2020 release. But what we do know is that it will be a part of Fuji TV's Plus Ultra plot, which, uh, currently has a, uh, contract with Netflix for exclusivity. So, when we do see it next year, it probably won't get a simulcast. Yeah. Just like Yo-Yo Shinari's previous work, Little Witch Academia, Beastars looks like it'll be a Netflix-exclusive series. Did you just say Beastars? What? Oh, well, yeah. I guess I did slip up and say Beastars. But Beastars <laughs> 2 also airs on Plus Ultra and is going to be Netflix-exclusive. <laughs> but no, I mean B&A. Yeah, B&A. Yeah. Like, Little Witch is going to be... It'd be weird if know. a brand new animal replaces Beastars on Plus Ultra. <laughs> That'd be kind of funny. I mean, both star wolf protagonists. Yeah, but yeah, this Instead of uh, a rabbit girl though. BNA has like this the squirrel girl kind of character. Yeah, so like, of course, at the panel, uh, Wakabayashi revealed the character designs of uh, for the main uh, female character Michiru, which looked really good. Um, and yeah, I'm excited for this based off the pedigree of the staff alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They but, uh, showed off even more designs. They showed off the wolf guy's design too, even though I don't remember his name. But yeah, yeah, like the character designs look fantastic. You know, it really sticks out to me the phrase that's in this teaser image, run wild and free. I feel that like it's really hinted at the team there. That it's like, again, kind of like old Trigger's works. It's like you're trapped in this kind of rigid system that you're trying to break out of and really be able to express yourself in your individuality. Yeah, so I'm really curious sure. to see how that'll manifest in this work. But uh, the other thing Trigger announced was that uh, NYAV Post is doing the English dub for Promare, and Trigger themselves is supervising the dub, including making the casting choices. So that's really cool to see them so heavily in dub involved in the dubbing process. And of course, the film is coming out through G-Kids and Fathom events on September 17th and September 19th, as well as a select theatrical release on a wider scale on September 20th. So I'd highly recommend seeing the film. It's amazing. I wrote a review of it for TanamiFaithful.com. And uh, yeah, it's mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. But uh, moving on to another uh, licensor, um, we have Harmony Gold. A uh, very uh, negatively viewed company in uh, the anime space. And uh, things with them are not pleasant because they uh, managed to get their grubby hands on uh, renewing the first Macross series and Southern Cross and Mos Beta. So uh, they have these licenses well into the future, as they say. And, uh, yeah, I don't think anyone's happy about this. Yeah, I mean, it's also a problem with Tatsunoko Production for letting them renew their license. There are so many other, there are so many other licensors they could have went to for this. And they go to someone who just doesn't care about the franchises. 
Yeah, I mean, Daryl's still kind of actively sabotaging other attempts to get Macross distributed in any form overseas. Like, it's not like Harmony Gold owns the license to, like, all the Macross franchise. But, you know, Tatsunoko is just not playing ball. Like, they're hard to negotiate with, I guess. I feel like someone in Harmony Gold just has a very good relationship with Tatsunoko. And that's the only reason this keeps going. Mm -hmm. Because I can't imagine, like, if Tatsunoko is actually paying attention to how the franchises are being treated over here, they know in a heartbeat that... Harmony Gold is wasting those licenses. They haven't done squat with them in decades. Yeah. So it's just really frustrating and depressing. Yeah. There's not much more to say about it except it sucks. Yeah. Alas. The time where we see Uncut Macross released over here will not be for well into the future. Yup. Call us back in, like, uh, 2031. <laughs> but uh, in more pleasant news, uh, Crunchyroll and Viz Media are partnering up for home video and digital distribution. Basically, Viz Media will distribute select Crunchyroll titles on home video as well as uh, uh, electronic sell-through or just digital release. So, yeah, that's really cool. Um... It also kind of makes sense, because uh, Viz Media's distribution is technically through Warner Brothers. Mm. So since Crunchyroll is now a Warner Media-owned company, it makes sense to also kind of do that through the same distribution. But doing it through Viz rather than directly through Warner Brothers is a way better idea, because Viz treats their home video releases far better than a Warner home video, as we saw with that JoJo release. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, this is something that I think is a really good move in terms of a partnership. And it'll be very interesting to see like what future Crunchyroll series you know uh, get released through the Viz's distribution system. But this isn't the only interesting partnership that is come in the industry because Funimation and Right Stuff also known as Nozomi Entertainment, has announced a partnership for anime streaming. Funimation is going to be streaming several Nozomi properties on their Funimation Now service. They didn't release a uh, debut date for when they'll be added, but we know that Revolutionary Girl Utena, Gravitation, Boogiebop Fandom, Junjo Romantica, Yakitate Japan, and Sweet Blue Flowers will all be added to Funimation Now in the future. So they're definitely looking to expand their catalog a little bit. I do have to wonder if this will affect their availability on YouTube. Uh, probably not, considering Funimation themselves has so many series that they have uploaded in their entirety on YouTube. But yeah, if you want to watch these series in Funimation now, you will have the opportunity to do so very soon. But speaking of Funimation, they've got a, another exciting film screening announcement because the Tokyo Ghoul S film is going to be released into theaters in September. This, of course, following the premiere in the U.S. of the film at Anime Expo, which was really great. The film 
turned out just so well as a horror adaptation of the gourmet arc of Tokyo Ghoul. I really loved it. Uh, Lee Lord really loved it. It was so good, even better than the first film. I'm really looking forward to seeing it again in theaters. And, yeah, but in other film news, Crunchyroll is going to bring over the Konosuba film, which was released in Japan in August. We don't know when it's coming out, but it'll happen in the future. So I know what a future Crunchyroll movie night's going to be, I guess. Come to yeah. think of it, when is the next Crunchyroll movie night supposed to happen? I feel it's been a while. I have no idea. <laughs> well, regardless, we know what a future one will be in any case. They also announced the English dub for uh, Season 2. That is right, and hopefully we will see that appear on Crunchyroll soon. Yeah. As well as I hope we'll see the English dub for another series appear on Toonami soon. Yes, so at uh, Aniplex of America's Anime Expo panel, they announced Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba for Toonami, which of course means that it's also getting an English dub. Um, So they didn't announce a premiere date for this, but it's a general fall release, so probably like October, November, or something like that. And uh, yeah, I'm hyped. Give it to me now. I want it. Uh, Aniplex also revealed some other information uh, about, like, some of their upcoming releases that I guess we should also just discuss briefly. Like, Kill a Kill is coming December 24th, a complete Blu-ray box set. Fate Zero, complete Blu-ray box set's coming October 29th. Heaven's Joel, Lost Butterfly, limited standard edition Blu-rays are coming November 19th. Rascal does not dream of Bunny Girl Senpai complete Blu-ray is coming on November 19th, and I Want to Eat Your Pancreas is coming out on Blu-ray October 29th. Now that is the one where I was like, when is Pancreas coming out on home video? So I guess we finally know. But yeah, back to Demon Slayer. Yeah, I'm happy it's going to be on Toonami this year. Looking forward to that. It took three long years, long, three long, long years of people ignoring it, treating it like it doesn't exist. And it finally has its chance to shine. Yeah, I mean, it's come out, it's already a big hit. We saw so many Tanjiro and Mystical cosplayers at AX. I will say that in recent episodes, people have seemed to be souring it just because I guess they don't like Zenitsu, but I think that... Those people are wrong. They're wrong! I think the show will win back people... Uh, as the spider mountain art continues. Yeah. They'll realize the error of their ways. <laughs> but yeah, this was definitely a really exciting announcement. Glad to see Tanami really reach out to grab some newer shows. And they really reach out to grab something fresh and hot with another license announcement, which I want to discuss here considering... It is AX related because we saw the premiere at this at AX, and that's Fire Force. Fire Force is supposed to come on Toonami on July 27th. Like, by the time you're listening to this podcast, it'll be the weekend of the Toonami debut. Yeah, and it's airing at uh, midnight Eastern Time. And yeah, it's really cool that they're able to get this so soon after the Japanese broadcast and uh, the Funimation Simuldub. Like, they're only going to be. Uh, few weeks behind it. But we have 
now finally come to the end of our coverage of all the Anime Expo news. And there was a lot, and there is a lot more news beyond this that we were not able to cover in this episode that I'm sure we'll cover on another podcast. Regardless, uh, I think we will see you guys in the next segment. Hello everybody and welcome to the Manga Mavericks AX Report. But because, of course, we are recording at night and uh, we are staying at an Airbnb and we don't want to wake other people, we're going to be a little quieter than usual, but don't worry, I think that we are going to delight you in an ASMR kind of way all about this Anime Expo news. Won't we, we lord? That sounds wrong in so many ways. Is it wrong to sound so right? Yeah, yeah it is. But I think something else sounded really right, didn't it, we lord? But we'll get to that. First we should talk about the beginning of our AX journey. Let's roll it back a few days. Maybe day negative one, when you met up with Sakaki and Jekka. Yeah, so that was a pretty chill day. Um, so Sakaki and Jekka and I met up. We explored LA a bit. Um, took them to Little Tokyo. Went to Kinokuniya, um, the Japanese bookstore, of course. Um, really cool place. We haven't been there before. Aside from that, we just kind of like picked up our press passes. That was a pretty quick process. Was it? Because you were telling me earlier that there were thirty guys from the Funimation. There weren't thirty guys. There was one person picking up thirty badges. Oh, okay. But you said that took a that long took time. a little bit of while. But after like once we got up there, it was pretty quick. So it wasn't terrible. Okay. So you did all that, and then you saw Spider Man the following night. Yeah, Spider Man's really good. Yeah, so if you haven't seen Spider-Man Forever Home, go see it. It's really good and amazing. I will as soon as I get home. Right now I'm far from home and can't see Spider-Man, but once I return home, once I have a homecoming, I will be able to attend a theater, and I won't be so far from it, will I? I? I guess not. It'll be right near my backyard, in my neighborhood, that friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. I'm not going to even comment on that. Living on the edge, riding, cross, swinging with... I don't remember the rest of the lyrics. Spectacular. Ah, 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 That wasn't terribly off-key, at least. Yeah. I don't have all the lyrics memorized, but anyway. Relord, you had the advantage of having stayed in L.A. for a month now, and... You know, already being in the city, so you did not have to fly in early in the morning like I did. I made the mistake of sleeping a little too late, so I had to get up a little early on little sleep. Had to order my Uber and cruise all the way down to the airport, but, you know, I probably could have slept in a little more because it was not crowded at the airport, contrary to my worst fears. It was actually a very smooth process. I didn't even have Sky Priority or TSAP check or anything. 
I was just in the general line, and I was like, screw it in one minute. That was that short. There was that few people there. And so overall, like, getting into the airport, pretty breezy and easy. And then I just had brecky breck, and then I just waited and started reading Behind the Scenes by Bisco Hattori, which I haven't gotten a chance to read yet, but with Bisco Hattori's panel coming up on Friday, I wanted to read more of her works besides Oran. And I really am enjoying Behind the Scenes. I read pretty much the first four volumes on the flight, and it's a dense read, so it took me about an hour per volume, so it took me the entire flight to get through all those volumes. But really enjoying the characters. I already bought volumes 5 and 6 after touching down in LA, after a little bit of a complication of not being able to buy them off the Wiz app because I did not have service, I guess. I guess if you're not connected to a Wi-Fi network, you can't buy stuff off the app, but... Once I was able to get connected, I bought Volumes 5, 6, and I'm going to give those a read. And I'm looking forward to Volume 7 coming out in August. But enough about behind the scenes. I was a peek behind the scenes of my flight. But then I landed and you picked me up, and that went all right. Yeah, I mean, traffic was average from downtown or mid-downtown Dalyx, so wasn't terrible. It was about a 40-minute drive from LAX to this Airbnb, and I didn't have to go through the tour or nothing because I've already been here when I dropped you off here earlier in June. So we just dropped off my stuff, and then we headed straight down to LACC to take up my badge and for you to pick up your wristband. And yep. I was also wondering, oh my god, am I going to have to wait in a long line for this press badge? And no, there was no line. I just went to the boot, and I got my badge. Yeah, the only line was for general. Poor generals. Yeah, the only sad thing about it is they didn't give me the Dr. Stone lanyard, but and nevertheless, I'm sure I'll be able to pick one up. When I get the swag bag tomorrow. Hopefully. Did the you... swag bag is pretty underwhelming in my opinion this year. What is in the swag bag? Nothing. Except for the the book. Really? Yeah, it was just kind of a bag. Well, is it just a regular Crunchyroll bag or? No, I, I'd have to look at the bag, but it's literally just a bag. But there's a design on it? Yeah, there, there's a design. I don't know the design. Is it big? Eh, like small. Okay. Well, it sounds <laughs> like the bag is not the bag in terms of having it. Is it? It's, it's an okay bag. I, I wouldn't probably use it, but... It's more useful as a trash bag than as any other kind of bag. It's I not mean, a grab nah, bag. No, nah, it's not a trash bag level. It's still a good quality bag. Mm-hmm. Thank you, AX, for the free bag. But you didn't bag anything special with the swag bag. <laughs> Why are you so fixated on the swag bag? I don't know. Because I didn't get a chance to get it. Because as soon as we 
picked up my badge, we went in for lunch at that place nearby. What was that place? Tom Suburban. Tom Suburban. They cook up a mighty fine chicken. Mm mm. Nice and fried and juicy. And I enjoyed it so immensely. I they served us with this right nice zesty sauce and the ciabatta bread. Oh. Uh, apparently, it was that specialty, like, you know, ciabatta bread and then the sauce and the fries. I enjoyed it a lot. It was nice. And you had it with a pancake. Was that a piece of cake to eat? <laughs> this was a mistake. <laughs> It was made of corn. That sounds corny, but tell me more. <laughs> oh oh, okay, I, it was a good pancake. Yeah, it was a corn pancake. Corn bread. <laughs> yes, corn bread. And yeah, it was it was pretty good. Colored red. No, it wasn't. Brownish red, orange red. <laughs> Aren't you glad you had that chicken on pancake? <laughs> yes, because it, it was good. Yeah, you can tell that it was finger looking good. No, KFC is terrible. No, no, no. I'm saying that it was genuinely good. KFC slogan is a lie. Yeah. They don't make yeah. no nice pies like that. Cornbread pancake. God damn it. Mm-hmm. Now that's one place you don't want to flake on. Well, okay. Um, after that, what did we do? Well, we went to Kinnikonia, which I have not been since I was in NYC. It was nice to see uh, Kinnikonia, even though... It was so overwhelming, as there were so many manga in Japanese. I was like, what do I buy? What should I try? But maybe not to die. Mean today? Sometimes the rhyme is not the time. <laughs> Stop trying to you make gotta it rhyme, pay the crime. Uh, I hate you so much right now. <laughs> Why? What did I ever do to you? <laughs> Rhyming. Why do you hate fun? Yeah, we need to send you to rhyme jail. I ain't done. <laughs> well, you picked up something at the canopy. Yeah, I do picked up you? the uh, Shaman King character book. Have you opened it up yet? I have not had the opportunity to. I might do it after this. I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of art. It's stored in that. Yeah, it seemed pretty cool. I'd seen a few pics from it, like, a while back, so I thought I might as well pick it up. Seems worth it. Need some karaoke takei in my life. Takei is the way, okay? Okay, that was somewhat acceptable. <laughs> I'll give that, like, an 8 out of 10. Yeah, but we went our separate ways after that, didn't we? Yeah, we did. You went back to the Airbnb, and yeah. I went to go hang out with the Tommy Faithful crew. Yep, I went back to work. But you, you went to explore all the perks. Not really explore, more like we hung out, talked about some specific logistics of the con, then we grabbed an early dinner, and then we lined up to get into the 
convention center, which I mainly just did because I wanted to get the swag bag, which, in retrospect, wasn't worth it, so whatever. <laughs> and well, yeah. I'm curious, so what are all the specifics you talked about the meeting? Anything you could share? Nothing. There's nothing really big about it. It was just, like, figuring out who's good covering what and, like, making sure everything we want to cover is getting covered. And what are you covering? Basically everything that overlaps between Tanami Faithful and All Comic. Okay. So Which includes... Various things. Okay, nothing specific, though. I mean, well, there's nothing really to say. It's just how we choose what we're going to cover. It's just mm. what we do. <laughs> that is true. But, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some events that we know we're going to... Maybe we should step back to the planning stages, because we are attending AX this year as press. We thought we'd go for it, and we were approved. And so I think already we're seeing a massive improvement in the fact that we had to avoid all the long lines in terms of badge pickup. And we were just able to get these press badges really easy. Yeah, I thought that was a nice thing. That's paid off real nice. And hopefully it'll help us get into certain events we want to go to and cover a lot easier. But also, let's also talk about some events that these press badges were not able to help us get into. And we had to rely on luck and timing. And this includes the big event that you went to tonight. Which you went to without me, because I did not have a chance to reserve a wristband for, alas, how poor am I? A sad day for me. But you got to see Conan on the big screen. Yes, yes I did. Detective Conan Zero the Enforcer. The uh, Conan film that came out last year in Japan. Highest grossing Conan film to date. Yeah. No doubt thanks so, to a good old Amuro. I think Fist the Blue Sapphire is usurped it? I'm not... Already? I'm not 100% sure on that. Don't quote me. I guess I should just explain how exactly the whole event went. So, basically 100 people got in. Or actually yeah. less than 100 people. Because... Yeah, I saw on good... Twitter that some people you were playing... Conan Uno cards with were not let in? So, okay, so this is a... I guess I should give the whole story here about what happened when I got there. Mm. So I get to the Regal after hanging out with CJ and going to the fence there and all that stuff. And when, by the time I got there, the AX volunteers had still not figured out what exactly they are going to do for, like, lining up to get into the theater and all that stuff. So initially they directed me outside to, like, line up. And there were some other people out there who apparently did not have wristbands or tickets. I didn't realize this at first. I was just like, okay, I guess, like, they're just having everyone line up here. So we just, like, we were talking about Ted Conan together, and, like, we started playing a Conan-themed Uno that one of the one of the guys had. But after a while, they noticed, hey, you have a wristband. I think you can just go in. And they were explaining how they didn't have wristbands, but they were trying to get in. Um, because I think they were premiere fans, so I think mm. usually premiere fans get priority to special yeah. events, so I think X was counting this as a special event, but, uh, I guess they didn't end up letting anyone 
who was premier in for some reason. I think, I mean, that makes sense, because you needed the wristband. Like, this was, you had to reserve the thing. Yeah, I mean, so it was weird like that. So, like, the thing is, though, there were still empty seats, even outside of the reserved ones for TMS staff. So, I feel like either people signed up and then didn't go... That must have been what happened. Yeah, then they should have let in those other guys. And the thing is, it's not like they're working out. They literally went in there, took count of everyone who was in there, and left. But they never let anyone who was lining up in. That is really unfortunate. Like, yeah, I mean, make an exception to give it a full house. I mean, like, I, I gotta thank the AX staff for helping put this all together and, like, making this happen alongside TMS, but I feel like there definitely has to be a better training on the uh, volunteer side to really figure out how to do this better. And I think that's just an organization thing. This was the first time they were doing it. So I can't put, like, all the blame there. But for next year, I think they definitely have to be more concrete about, hey, if there's empty seats here, we should fill them. Yeah, I hope Kingdom is handled better when we go see it tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, well, we'll see about that. Um, I already have a few concerns about Kingdom, but... uh but we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, I guess uh, let's continue with the Conan story, of course. Yeah. So I get in there. I sit down. One thing I noticed is that a lot of the people wanted to sit in, like, the top, near top seats. So, like, in the 40X theater room, there is a block of seats that are on the above area and the bottom area. And there are a bunch of seats reserved for TMS there, but there was a good, like, line worth that wasn't. And so I just, like, hey, this is close up. It's a good view. I can sit right in the center. So I just, like, decide to sit there. And right behind me, who sits, like, right, basically, to the row behind me is, uh, Lex Lang. Oh. Yeah, so for those who don't know, Lex Lang is the voice of, uh, Goemon. In, uh, Goemon's Spray of Blood, Lupin film, as well as in Lupin Part 4, Part 4 and Lupin Part 5. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll be in Fujiko's Lie, right? I'd assume so if Goemon's in that film. I have no idea. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, so he was there, and so, like, he was talking to a bunch of the AX volunteers and stuff, because I think, like, they were trying to figure out, like, I think they wanted, uh, the volunteers were, like, telling him that they wanted to meet, like, I think one of the AX, like, uh, higher-ups who was also there. Just, hmm. like, network and thank her. Okay. And stuff like that. So it was kind of just, like, notices behind me. I'm like, oh my god, it's like slang. What do I do? <laughs> and, like, I'm I'm so nervous. I'm like, I, I don't want to bother him. He seems like he's busy. Um, Yeah, so it was, it was very nerve-wracking. And uh, he was also there with his wife, Sandy Fox, mm-hmm. who... Um, Sandy Fox has also done a lot of stuff. Um, I think some people might be familiar with her. Um, She was the Tachkomas, and I think... Ghost and Shell Standalone Complex. Oh, yeah. And, like, a bunch of other stuff. Like, cheese. Let's see here. She was in Naruto, Chobits, Vandred. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. She's also Chibiusa in Sailor Moon Crystal. <laughs> That's I don't know. I don't one. know how I forgot that. She, she she even mentioned that. Yeah, she's Chibiusa. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I, I recognize the voice now. Yeah. <laughs> Heard her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I was so flustered in the moment I didn't realize that at first, but yeah, after after she mentioned, I'm like, oh yeah, this makes sense. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I talked. Uh, I finally got up the courage and yeah, I talked. Uh, Lex Lang introduced myself. Told him I was part of Tsunami Faithful. We had interviewed uh, Rich Dobkar, Michelle Ruff, and a bunch of the other uh, Lupin related uh, dub cast members. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of started talking. And today I heard you were the ADR director for this film. Um, he started talking about, yeah, yeah, it was really fun recording. He mentioned, like, how he was, uh, voicing the main antagonist of the film and stuff like that. Um, it was just a really nice conversation. He kind of talked about some previous roles and just, like, reflecting on his career a bit. It was, it was really nice. He was very down to earth, very friendly. That's awesome. Um, yeah, and after all of it, he's like, hey, do you have a business card? And I'm like, oh, unfortunately I don't. So he's like, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to give you mine. Let me know if you want to talk or anything, interview. And, like, also, I also got one from Sandy Fox as well. And, yeah, it was just a really great experience. That's incredible. Yeah. I hope that uh, Tanami people goes up and ahead and sets up those interviews. Yeah, so I, I I got in touch with Paul already, so he has the contact info. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's up to Paul now to get that handled. Yeah, well, um, have you got the chance to interview them? Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, who knows? So then the actual film starts, of course, and I think we mentioned this before, but the Conan film was 40X. Yeah. I've never been to a 40 film before, at least of a proper full-length film. Mm. So I didn't know what to expect from it, and I thought it wouldn't really work for Conan, because Conan is a lot of talking. Mm. But I'm just going to say this here, it, it somehow works. It really works at, like, immersing you into the experience. What works about it? So, like, they take all these different, like, um, high-action movements, a lot of the sangha cuts, and add the uh, seat motion to it. Mm-hmm. So, like, during explosions, they're, like, Conan running or Conan on a skateboard or car chases. Like, there's this <laughs> crazy vibration. Like, there's this one scene near the end of the film. Amuro and Connor shotgunning in Amuro's car to hit this like weird satellite thing that's launching down onto a tower. <laughs> and like you can feel the impact of the car hitting like the satellite thing and then like them crashing down. Mm-hmm. It's just like it's really cool things like that. And there's just like a lot of these really cool just like physical effects to it that really just feel like you're really kind of there and like it really makes you more engaged in the film, like um, Zero the Enforcer is a pretty basic Conan film. Like yeah. the plot's pretty simple. It's about a OIT, uh, or not OIT, IOT. I should I should know this IOT <laughs> Internet of Thing attack. So it's like this attack type thing where like it will attack computers and stuff and like blow them up huh. through like a a Tor server, which they call Nor in this one, because I think I don't think they're allowed to say Tor. <laughs> Why not? I don't know. I, I think Tor is probably copyright. I, I don't I don't freaking know. And then, like, basically it's about how, like, they're using these things to, like, attack, like, an embassy and also a NASA like, uh, ripoff that the Conan movie makes up. I think it's Nasu or something. Mm-hmm. Or Nasso, I I don't I don't remember the exact name, but uh, so it's basically that, and like Kogro gets framed for everything because yeah. apparently his fingerprints are at the crime, and like apparently Amro is the one who planted it there, but Amro has ulterior motives, <laughs> and yeah, it's 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 very interesting, and I thought like 
from the way initially promoted this, like back in the day, it was like, oh, there's something up with Amro. Is he actually a bad guy after all? <laughs> and it's really not like that mm-hmm. at all. The initial description I saw ages ago was very misleading because it's a pretty much a Conan Amro team up film. Okay. So yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I'm not sure if I enjoyed it as much as a Crimson Love Letter, the Heiji focused one. Mm. Well, but, uh, we know why you wouldn't. Yeah, but. I, I still enjoy this a lot, and I think the 4DX experience really helped with that, too. And the dub, too. I was I was very happy with the dub. Um, Lex Lang did a fantastic job with it. I'm, I really hope he gets to direct more Conan content. I would love that as well. I want more Conan dubbed, and, and uh, the movies are a perfect product to bring over if we can't get the show. And uh, one thing I noticed is that TMS didn't release a cast list for this, but, like, uh, they did they show the cast credits. list. They, they showed it in the credits, though. Yeah. So I didn't memorize every single thing, and then I obviously wasn't going to take out my phone and take a picture of it, because that's yeah, unprofessional, no. and you're not supposed to do that. I mean, I don't know but, you out, but I memorized a few of them, and I'm just going to list them off right now. Yeah, yeah. Um. So... Kyle McCarley was Amaro, so I think he voices, uh, what's his, what's his name from, uh, Gundam Iron Blood Orphans? The black-haired I, one? I never really watched that show. Mikazuki? Yes, Mikazuki. Mm-hmm. He voices Mikazuki in Iron Blood Orphans, so he voices Amaro in this. Okay. At first I thought it was Yuri Lowenthal, but I guess, <laughs> like, they kind of have similar voices. Yeah. So, like, it, it was, it's Kyle McCarley, though. Um, and then Wendy Lee is Conan. Yeah. I was really surprised about this, because I thought it was Christina V at first, but we'll get to Christina V, like, right after this, and who she plays. But, uh, yeah, it's apparently Wendy Lee, unless I read it wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was Wendy Lee in the credits. Very, at least in my recollection, it's very rare for Wendy Lee to play, like, a young boy character. At least the roles I always associate her for are definitely very feminine, femme fatalis characters, I would say. Faye Valentine, even Harley Suzumiya, you know, those are the kind of pitch in her voice. Yeah, which is why it threw me off at first, but I'm pretty sure it's right, Mm -hmm. unless I completely misread it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure I was Wendy Lee as Conan. And then uh, Christina V was Ron, Mm -hmm. which, yeah... Ron did a great performance. Christina V deserves a lot of praise for that. And then uh, Erica Mendez was Hybra, and Erica nailed it. Oh my god, as a Hybra fan, I really want to hear that take. Yeah, it, it was really good. And then uh, Lex Lang was uh, Kusakabe, which is the which is the kind of villain of the film, hmm. which I guess is sort of a spoiler, but like, uh, <laughs> I it, mean, it's. Generally, isn't the villain obvious in Conan? Yeah, this one was less obvious, I feel, but like okay. it's still kind of there. But yeah, so Lex Lang was Kusakabe, and then uh, Richard Apcar was Inspector Kuroda. Okay, you you know who Inspector Kuroda is, right? Yeah, I know Kuroda. He's the guy with the eye patch. He's darker yeah. here. He's one of the suspects that people think is wrong. Yeah, and I gotta say, I need more of Richard Apcar <laughs> is Kuroda. It was literal perfection. Any role Richard Epcard does, he becomes inextricably tied to that role and my perception of that character. Yeah. Jigen, 
Bato, bo 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 bo. Those are all <laughs> iconically Apgar. Yeah, and he, he just nailed those. I feel like Corona definitely fits the type of characters he usually plays, anyways. But mm-hmm. it was amazing. I need more of it. Um, <laughs> I mean, I had damage before, but Kyle McCarley's armor was also perfection. Mm-hmm. Like I loved it. It was it was amazing. Yeah. So yeah, we need more of this dub solely for that. Yeah. I'm glad they got a good cast, obviously, you know. I love the old Funimation cast, but, you know, obviously they'll the want to go with the different actors not based in Texas. Yeah. Um, oh, I also forgot to mention, Kogoro is, I think, Xander Mobis? Mm-hmm. I am not 100% sure on this. I think it was Xander Mobis. Cause, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, this is part of me, like, I really wish I had something, like, a piece of paper so they write this stuff down <laughs> while I was going through. I mean, yeah, tomorrow when we go, we need to bring, like, a notepad so we can, like, jot notes during these things. I don't think that's usually an issue, though. It was just an issue here because TMS wasn't transparent about what the cast was. Well, no, I mean, just in general, we should have a notepad ready. <sighs> that, so that's that's the thing, though. I feel these... most panels we can have our phones out. That's usually not an issue. It's just... I mean, I know for a fact that with Pokemon, we can't... Oh, yeah, Pokemon, that's different, Like, just in general, we should... Okay, yeah. (laughs) That's a good point. But, yeah, so I I think Kogoro Xander Mobus... um, I'm going to try to contact TMS about this and see if they can maybe send me a cast list before I write my review. That'd be pretty cool. Just so that I don't get any of them wrong. (laughs) I'd feel really bad to be like, hey, Kona was Wendy Lee, and then it's apparently not Wendy Lee. Like, that would just, I would feel really bad about that. The TMS having gone through this ever produced this dub, I hope we see it elsewhere. At yeah. distributed in North America. If not at any form of theatrical release, I hope we get it on home video. Maybe through Discotech. Whoever TMS wants to partner with. Mm, yeah. Like, I mean, it's a Bang Zoom produced dub, and TMS was clearly the ones who were the ones funding it. So, I hope that, um,. Yeah, they either sublicense it through Discotech or something like that. I I really want to see this on home video. I, I will buy it in a heartbeat. I will watch Fist of the Blue Sapphire <laughs> and hope to God that I get into a 4DX screening of it next year. Um, And yeah, I, I just hope that this is the start of a new beginning for Conan. I hope so too. You know, we were very worried after Funny Lost the License that is this the end of Conan North America? But now TNS has given us a new hope. Yeah, I mean, like, as far as Japanese uh, producers go, I feel TMS is very much in touch with trying to push their properties back into the U.S. They mm-hmm. did it with Lupin for years, putting faith in the franchise, seeing that, out. hey, there there is a demand for this. It might not be clear right away, but the demand is there, and we yeah. should push it. And I feel like... Now that Lupin's kind of hitting a renaissance again, it's now Conan's turn. Yeah. Like, Conan, one of the hugest franchises in Japan, needs to come back. I agree, and I think it definitely helps that there is now a generation of anime fans who grew up on Conan and watched it on Adult Swim as kids, and then, like, have fond memories of it and are like, yeah, I want more Conan in my life. Yeah, for sure. Um, But yeah. I'll probably write up a review of this for all comic in uh, the coming days. And, uh, yeah, you'll be able to hear my full thoughts on it. Yeah. Like, Needless to say, it's pretty positive. If you, <laughs> if you can't expect from us. Oh, yeah, after the film, I also got a picture with Lux Lang. 
again, super friendly guy, really nice. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, it was just a really, really exciting experience. I'm I'm so happy. I was one of the lucky few actually got into that screening. Yeah, so it, it was just a blessing. I'm happy for you. I'm glad you had such an amazing time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, we're going to have fun with the Kingdom screening tomorrow, though, hopefully. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so much fun to be had. I'm glad one of us out of our group got to get into the screening. Yeah, I... I don't know how those like wristbands sold out so fast. Like, I mean, it was just simple matter of there's more demand than there were yeah. wristbands allotted. Like, on one hand, I kind of wish they had just shown this at the convention center, but on the other hand, I kind of get why they wanted to do the 4DX thing, because the 4DX thing is really cool. Explain the 4DX experience, since you didn't necessarily like dig into what exactly 4DX is. So 4DX is pretty straightforward, so like... It's making the effects in the movie a physical feeling in your seat. So, like, for these ones, it's, like, uh, smoke effects, Mm -hmm. uh, little bits of drops of, like, water stuff, and then lots and lots of seat motion. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, the seats move around, and they spray, like, water mist at you at times. So, like, on these ones, they have, like, a toggle where you can turn the water on and off. I had mine on the entire time, and I didn't really (laughs) feel any water. Were there any water scenes in the movie, or...? There were a few scenes where there was, like, rain and stuff, and you could feel, like, a few droplets, but it wasn't, like... Interesting. You you didn't get wet or anything, obviously. Yeah, I I can't imagine it'd be a pleasant experience to, like, get rained on while you're watching a movie in a movie. Yeah, it it was, uh... It wasn't overbearing, which was the good part. Like, Mm -hmm. you still could watch the movie easily, but it definitely, like helped get you more pumped up when watching it, which was nice. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I'm afraid the X showings can be a lot of fun. It sounds like it worked really well in Conan's case. Yeah, I, I can just kind of hope that, like, if they do do Fist of the Blue Sapphire, they have a 40X option and general option. Yeah, I mean, I hope with Fist of the Blue Sapphire, it's, uh... Just wider, wider release yeah. Like, or just accessible in some form, like... I, I want these movies on home video or streaming so, like, I can watch them readily. Yeah, I mean, hey, next year if they do do 40X for Fist of Blue Sapphire, you know I'm going to be trying to get into that. <laughs> I will have, like, I don't know, I'm not sure what I would do to somehow ping to the page faster, but I'll find a way to get to that page as fast as possible. Me too. I will try again. And hopefully this time one truth will prevail for me. Yeah. <laughs> As it did for Pokemon, it chose me, and I got in. I feel like Pokemon was pretty easy to get into, though, because those I tickets didn't. It was easy. Those tickets didn't like run out until like forty-five minutes after. Well, I guess that is fortunate, though. Again, that's another. Key. The thing with that is definitely it's in Hall B, so that seats like what three thousand people, thirty-three hundred. Yeah, over three thousand people. So. Yeah, definitely more people were on the ball with that, but there was also more available spots. So that one, definitely not as much of a worry, but still it was stressful. Again, it was still within the first hour, so... Yeah, I mean, that's to be expected, though. Like, yeah, of course they're going to saw within the first hour. Yeah, but again, like that's still... Yeah. There's a lot of people who miss, still missed out. So. Yeah, I mean... 
A lot of it's planning ahead and getting lucky. Like, MHA, I know lots of people didn't get in. Yeah. Like, I, I was one of the lucky few, though I I went in to get it for a different person. So, mm-hmm. like, yeah. Because I, I was never planning to go to MHA. Well, we were planning, well, but then after they, after, they, after, after, they, they announced after they announced Lupin, yeah, so then I stopped caring about MHA. <laughs> yeah. We can wait a couple months to see Stevenson. Gokomamon matters to me more. And yeah, Fujiko's Lie. Yeah, I want to see the premiere of that. Fujiko's Lie sounds really great. Yeah, so. But, yeah. Um, yeah, again, we can wait until the season four premiere in a couple months. I don't mind that. And I'm just glad that they did this online system instead of making you wait hours in line for crushing disappointment. Honestly, I wish they would do this for autograph tickets, too. The fact that they... It would that be so they, much better if they did what such, uh, Walker does. It's such a safety hazard, too, I feel. Having people out at, like, 5 a.m. Yeah. Because I know they're technically not liable for it until they open, but, like, yeah. you know people are going to be lining up before 8 a.m. Yeah. So it's like, just do autograph tickets online. If people don't get them, you don't get them. That's all exactly. the luck of the draw there. I would so much prefer that. Speaking of, I mean, we're going to be going to sleep pretty soon to wake up early to head down there at 5 a.m. Yeah, we'll see if we even get any tickets, but... At least I have a few people that I would want to have options for, so if I run out of one, maybe I go for another. I mean, my she will be there for premiere. Well, it might she... will be there. Yeah. Okubo. Well, we're going to have to run to Hatsushi the Funimation Okubo, booth yeah. for that. But yeah, with uh, Imaishi, it's not just Imaishi, it's uh, Wakabayashi. Yeah, and Superlog. It's an yeah. entire premiere it, it's a that's going to be there for the panel and the post-premiere trigger Where they're going to announce their panel. new projects, yeah. 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 So. And trigger panels are always a bundle of joy from yeah. the ones I've seen last year and the one that we went to last year. Most the two, The two that we went to last year, actually. But yeah, I mean, tomorrow is basically going to be us running around, getting, <laughs> or rather standing, and yeah. then running around. I mean, the moment we get out of Pokemon, we have to run over to Kingdom. Pokemon means a lot to me. Rika Matsumoto, Kaneko Yuyama means a lot to me. And, and God, God knows when uh, Pokemon USA will let her come down again. I mean, I don't even think Pokemon USA. I think, I think, yeah, I think, I think, like, directly they reached out to the Japan side Which of things. Which is insane. It is insane. That's why I was so motivated yeah. to get into the screening. I'm so glad that I did. Like, like I'm, I'm, I'm a be... bit disappointed that we can't go to Otomo, but at the same time. Yeah, I mean, speaking of, we already know what was yeah. going to be announced because they I feel like, big... I feel like the whole thing, though, is that they're going to go more into detail about oh, it in the panel. They obviously. are, but you know, there's this big banner over the LACC. Which, yeah, when I saw that, when I saw that. Otomo embarking on exciting new movie project. So he's making a new movie. We know yeah, that. When I saw that on uh, Day Minus One, I was really surprised, huh? Otomo got the front banner this year. And I get that, yeah, Otomo's huge. Yeah, I mean, but last I was year expecting was Dragon Ball Super. Yeah, I was expecting Dr. Stone this year mm-hmm. on there, because that's the one that's in uh, Times Square in New York. That banner. Yeah, but maybe that's why. Like, they yeah, I guess Times Square instead of putting one in LAC. Because, yeah, that one's already getting a ton of publicity, so I guess they're like, okay, let's promote Otomo here. Yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. I mean, Crunchyroll is in charge of that Dr. Stone promotion, so I mean, it's also a matter of Atomo's estate could <laughs> who's, just who's throwing more. Up, who's throwing the most money at LAC. Exactly. 
But it is quite surprising that they would uh, kind of reveal their cards early like this. Uh, I guess one thing to note, the Dark Horse panel was today. It's I don't know why they're doing on pre-show night. Dark Horse has always been weird. Dark Horse has always been weird like that, though. But they actually made an interesting announcement, because they licensed Minotaro Mochizuki's Island Dogs manga, the manga adaptation of the Wes Anderson film the same name, and I'm definitely curious to read that. I would like to see like how that story is interpreted by a Japanese author. So that's going to be released. I'm not really sure when the manga is going to be released, but, you know, it was published last year in Gadanshi's Morning Magazine. I'm sure, like, Dark Horse will leave it maybe later this year. You know, it sounds like they're going to be putting it out in a paperback and a, well, no, hardback binding, good dimensions. It'll have a slip cover and it appears, yeah, it's, it's like it's going to be a good release. But I think another really exciting announcement is that they're going to be resuming publication of the Kurosaki Corpse Delivery Service mangas through future omnibus volumes because, you know, it's been quite a long time since the last edition of that. It's been since 2015 since they published a last single volume. Yeah. And then they did four Omnibus volumes, but they didn't continue past that. Like, now. uh, Deb Debeoki was mentioning on Twitter that the single volumes lost a ton of money for Dark Horse, but yeah. those Omnibus volumes made that money back. Yeah. So I guess they're now seeing a new, new source of demand for the series, which is really cool. Yeah. I stayed home at the Airbnb router because I wanted to focus on work today. Uh, since we'll be pretty much at the con all day tomorrow, every every day for the rest of this yeah. weekend. Yeah, and plus there's, uh, even when we're not at panels, there's also stuff to do at night, like Funimation's having parties at yeah. this... I mean, and there's also travel time between panels we have to account for. Yeah, I and mean... taking time to eat. I mean, who needs food? food? Food's overrated. I think we should definitely pack some of those cheese sticks and Coke Zeros that you got. <laughs> Maybe if you really want to. I'm just gonna. Uh, I think that's probably. Your there, there's there's way more food stalls in AX this year. That that's another good thing. Yeah. They definitely have ramped the food game in AX, which is a breath of fresh air. I just hope the lines again won't be an impotent. Honestly, we just have to do it during a dead zone. We'll be good. Well, I hope there is a dead zone. Well, we'll find one. We'll find a way. Yeah. We'll survive. Yeah, we'll just have to summon Garlic Junior to help us out there. Yeah, totally. But yeah. <laughs> So, Kurosaki Corpse Delivery Service Omnibuses will resume with the fifth edition volume that's going to collect volumes 13 through 15, and the 15th volume is content that's going to be published in English for the first time. That's slated for March 20th of 2020. So, very cool. And the sixth omnibus is confirmed to follow, and then past that, uh, that's all going to depend on sales, fan response. So, you know, if you want more Kurosaki Corpse Delivery Service, uh, definitely pick up these new Omnibus editions, because that's our best bet to get more. So, definitely some good announcements there. Uh, again, I stayed home, or uh, at, again, at the Airbnb, rather, because I needed to work, but I am kind of sad that I did not attend the Dark Horse panel, just because Carl Horn was there, and I would definitely love to attend one of his panels sometime and meet Carl Horn, because he's been an editor in this industry for a long time, worked on a lot of series that I really love. 
love, would love to talk to him and just hear him talk about manga. But hopefully there will be another opportunity later down the line. Instead, while I was working on my animation back here, I watched the live streams of some of the panels that they were doing in Petrie Hall. Because they, you know, they live stream all the panels coming out of Petrie Hall. So the two panels I saw, because I missed the the first one, which was a Wars Actors kind of roundup. But the first one I saw was the Fan Art Fair Use of Foul Play panel that was conducted by Jack Lerner, who is a copyright lawyer. And that was very interesting. It kind of goes into like what the copyright law actually is, what fair use actually is, how they define it using specific court cases, using specific examples of transformative pieces of fan work that can be protected under fair use. So I thought it was very educational, especially as a content creator of like, yeah, these podcasts where we talk about manga, that's fair use because that's transformative, that's content made to critique, it's transformative. So, you know, I think that that was pretty enlightening, pretty helpful. It's not one of those panels where, you know, you're going to get fans like, like screaming and like really energetic like everyone is very thoughtfully listening along and it seemed that from the responses from both the audience during the Q&A section and also the Twitch chats that people thought it was a really great panel and that it was really helpful so I'm very very impressed by that and then after that was the developing action games with lots of characters panel by Inti Creates which are best known for, I guess, Mega Man games from back in the day. I'm not going to lie, I'm not a game person, so I, I don't know much about the Mega Man Zero or Mega Man ZX series, but certainly that's what the fans were most interested <laughs> in. Obviously, Indie Creates has not had a partnership with Capcom in a long time, and they were mainly talking about their new like fighting games and their Gunvolt series. And whichever game it is that's going to have Shovel Knight and Shantae playable. But, mm. you know, that like, it seemed pretty cool games they're creating. I wish I was more into the scene to kind of really appreciate everything that we were discussing. Yeah. But I did feel really embarrassed by the cringiness of, like, not just one, but consecutively two people asking them, are you going to create more Mega Man games. And then, like, literally, the first question, someone asked this and they explained, oh, no, Capcom owns the rights to that. It's not our decision. And then, literally, the next guy has basically the same question. It's like, are you, can you use the characters you created for Mega Man Zero in future games? It's like, no, that's not how it works. To their credit, they found, like, a different a way to word the response that could elaborate more in a very educational way, which I think was a good And move, at the same but, time, this kind of uh, goes back to a whole thing with AX that I feel that they need to improve and a lot of cause in your proof. Q&A vetting. Yeah. Vet these Q&As to help. Make sure there's someone in before they get to the mic that will make sure, okay, is this question worth them asking? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, you need to 
have someone there who asks the person in line, okay, what's your question? Run it by me. And they can give their opinion and say, no, that we're not, it's not going to fly. Or yeah, sure. You can ask that. You know, there needs to be someone there before they get to the mic to ask the panelists themselves, because especially with the Japanese guests, that it's very embarrassing. It's especially embarrassing in this case is like, they do this panel talking about older cool new games and people are just asking them about these Mega Man games yeah. that they can't make anymore. Yeah, so. it's, it's really dumb. Again, a part of it is like a lot of these people don't understand how licensing and all that stuff works, but mm-hmm. please just do your research before you ask a question. Yeah. Asking a question doesn't mean you can ask anything. It means that you ask an educated question. Yeah, well, hopefully... If we get a chance to, we'll ask better questions. Oh, God, yeah, we, we definitely would. Yeah. But in any case, I think that about does it for our AX coverage of Day Zero. Uh, I'm quite impressed how much we had to say for what was just Day Zero. Jesus Christ, yeah, we've been recording for 52 minutes. We definitely do need to head to sleep so we can get at least three hours before we need to wake up to head back to the LACC for the day. Yup, that, that's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. But stay tuned for that. And that about that's it for this week's episode covering Anime Expo news and the pre-show night. Tune in to next week's episode where we'll be joined by Sakaki to discuss the entirety of Anime Expo in an over four hour long podcast which goes into extensive detail into our experiences in Anime Expo. But as for us, you can find VLORGTZ at VLORGTZ on Twitter and you can read his work on all-comic.com, including his reviews of Hinomaru Sumo, Act Age, and Demon Slayer. His last Hinomaru Sumo review is up now for the final chapters. And you can also read his stuff on TanamiFaithful.com, as well as listen to him on the Tanami Faithful podcast. As for me, you can find me at LumRamayasha on Twitter, and by LumRamayasha on a variety of places, including Amateur Revelation and Annie List, wherever there's a Lomomiyasha, that's where you can find me. And I also write reviews for all-comic.com, manga reviews, and anime movie reviews, which you can check out there as well. As for the show, you can find Manga Mavericks at manga underscore mavericks, on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com. Our YouTube channel is YouTube slash C slash manga mavericks, but you can just search for it in the search bar. And we're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever your podcast listening platform of choice is. And wherever you listen to us, it would be greatly appreciated if you left us a comment, reviewed us, any and all of those really help the show out. You can also send us feedback by emailing us at mongamavericks at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you guys, your feedback. Your thoughts on all the license announcements from Anime Expo, Detective Conan Zero the Enforcer, any of that. Send your thoughts and comments our way at mongamavers.gmail.com. 
But if you want to support the show and help us continue financing it and producing more stuff, you can donate to our Patreon, Patreon slash Manga Mavericks, where we have a multitude of tier options for you to pledge at, and we have tons of bonus content. At our $5 tier, we have monthly exclusive bonus podcasts, some of which currently include a review of That Time I Got Reincarnated as Yamcha, and several At Movies episodes, including ones on Captain Marvel and Alita Battle Angel. But even higher tiers have incredible bonus content. Like at our $10 and $15 tiers, you'll receive show notes, bloopers, unreleased podcasts, tons more Among Merit content for your eyes and ears only. So if you want to help support the show financially, you can support us at Patreon slash Manga Mavericks. But that does it for this episode of Manga Mavericks. And we will see you in the next one. Sayonara! <laughs>